This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, here we are, day three. Alabama, for lack of a better term, is on the clock. SEC Media Days continue today. I'm Mark, that's Lee. The opening kickoff is with you for the next three hours. Hugh Freeze had his turn yesterday. We got plenty to dive into, and there's really no better time than right now. No better time to announce our title sponsors either, uh, Pat's Industrial and Auto Supply. Uh, title sponsor along with Greer's Markets and Cash Savers celebrating, I found out yesterday, celebrating their 107th anniversary. Uh, before we get started, so I'm an officially a member of the city now, I, I guess I'm part of history now that Mobile is the second largest I guess. City is that a good, I don't even know. Is that a good thing? Second largest? No, to that it. I'm, that I'm a member? What, what are, I don't want to get all like political, but what are, what are the pros and cons to this whole annexation thing i I don't i don't really know i don't either i really don't know kelly just mentioned something that if you wanted some information go to cityofmobile.org i did i couldn't find anything to help cityofmobile.org find out the benefits of moving from the county to the city and supposed to be things like faster police service faster firemen ems uh something about garbage pickup stuff like that so, but here's my question. So, essentially, the city's going to get more money with more people, right? Right. But unless that money goes to those services that you're talking about, doesn't ultimately that service – what's the word? Maybe that service isn't as efficient because there are now more people to 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 reach? I've heard that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I again, I'm – I really don't have a horse in the in, in this race. I mean, I've always been a part of the city. Welcome aboard. Welcome welcome to Mobile, sir. I'll be the first to officially uh, welcome you. What day is your garbage pickup? I think it really depends on which, which area you're in. All right. For me, for those that are really, really curious, that would be Thursday. And mine's on Monday right now, and I like it just one day a week. All right. I don't. I think they should do it twice a week. Oh, that's ridiculous. I like it one day a week. Says the person that only has two people in the house. I mean, I got, I got, uh, at, at some points, five people in my house, and most of them are grown men almost now, man. Uh, there's more trash in my house than I know what to do with. Why don't you move out? Only kidding. I'm only kidding. But if I All lived right. in the city, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, t- I'm not talking about the family. I'm talking about you. Mm. All right. I'm only teasing. All right. Uh, before we get to Hugh Freeze, uh, Kirby Smart, and Let's not forget Zach Arnett and Charles uh, Clark Lee. They were there also, although you wouldn't know it. Uh, when I get to the scoreboard in Chick-fil-A in this half hour, a record-breaking night as far as runs scored. There are 12 teams that posted 10 or more runs. That goes back to 1894. I kind of missed that night. All right, uh, Hugh Freeze, uh, according to some of the sources that I've read today, uh, came across very well yesterday, uh, talked about how he might deploy a two-quarterback system. Uh, that's a possibility. He said he, he likes Robbie Ashford. Of course, he's going to say nice things. Let's face it. The coach is up there to say really nice things. 
and he, he hasn't seen the uh, the back the new quarterback from Michigan State throw, but he did say that yeah, there's a possibility. I have a starter and maybe a guy that can finish up in the fourth quarter. He also said that Philip Montgomery, the offensive coordinator, will be calling the plays, and he wasn't wishy-washy about this. Mark, he came out and emphatically said uh, Montgomery. He said there was a time when he felt that uh, you know he was really really good at it, but now he feels that uh, maybe he should have somebody else call the plays so that he can have more control of the whole program. And I, and I think that's the the biggest point he made because it's completely opposite of the way Jimbo Fisher handled it, right? Jimbo Fisher kept being asked about Bobby Petrino, Bobby Petrino, but I don't know if he ever once said adamantly, Petrino's calling the plays. And I think that's where Hugh Freeze certainly won the day. He was, he was very specific about what he wanted and how it was going to be. He was very open and transparent about it. And like most coaches, he said, he's going to call them. Unless something during the course of a game changes or whatever, but he made there's no question that Philip Montgomery is going to be his offensive coordinator. Now he also I thought made an interesting point that he needed new terminology. The offense is going to be the same, terminology is going to change, and he was pretty pretty open about that too. He said I got I got a couple guys on either side of me, a couple schools on either side of me that I've talked a little too much to that might be a little too familiar with my terminology, so we really needed a change in the vocabulary. He also said that the uh, roster has vastly improved since he's come on. He, he, he had to, you know, I, I guess in a sense it was an indirect slap at Brian Harson and the staff, but he said they really had to show a lot of improvement with the transfers. But he also said, that being said, so are the other schools getting better. So I'm not sure where we stand right now. Uh, Hugh Freeze uh, taking the podium for the first time since his days at Ole Miss. And, you know, he referenced uh, back then and, and alluded to some of the things that went on in his final year at Ole Miss. So, uh, according, now again, I didn't hear all of his speech. I heard bits and parts of it. According to some of the Internet sites, he came across very well. The, the comment that I, in, I liked the most was as short, as sweet as can be, was Kirby Smart. When he was asked about, quote, unquote, his cupcake schedule, which many yeah. people are saying is the softest schedule around. And he said, if that's what you think, come play it. Yeah. Come play it. Um, he also kind of made fun of Eli Drinkwitz for uh, his filibuster. He even made the point at the beginning of his uh, at the beginning of his spiel that I set me alarm. I set my alarm so I wouldn't go over. And dude spoke for five minutes longer than Eli Drinkwitz. Now, I'll say this. What Kirby had to say was a lot more interesting and entertaining than Eli Drinkwitz, but Kirby giving Eli um, a little a little ribbing and then turned around and and spoke for, I think Eli spoke for eleven minutes. Kirby spoke for almost sixteen minutes, which was just anarchy. But yeah, I thought that was a really good answer. I thought I thought he handled himself well. I thought he was very well prepared. I thought it was insightful. He started talking about how. Um, he, he did a deep dive into the New England rugby team, the All Blacks, the most successful uh, team in the history of team sports, so he said. So he said all the right things. And you're right. I thought Hugh Freeze came off uh, really well. I think most of them did. I think there were a couple examples of guys that I was just, uh, wasn't all that impressed with. But I thought, I thought both of them really kind of, um, I don't want to say stole the show, but what were the show? So Kirby Smart. During the print get-together, that's when you're in the big room with everybody, and he was only asked, I believe, one question about the legal issues surrounding the team. However, in private interviews, you know, he addressed it, and ESPN sent out a, 
kind of a long story on it where he said, look, I've got checks and balances. I've called police in to talk to my team. He says, are we any worse than any other team in the SEC? I don't think so. I said, he said, if you check the, the police blogs, you'd probably find a lot of speeding tickets given out on other campuses. He doesn't think his is any worse. As I said earlier this week, the thing that has magnified this is the tragedy, the accident in yeah. which the uh, two people, the uh, former player and the former staff member, uh, were killed. That, that's what has really dramatized this whole thing because everything has been falling into that with the number of speeding tickets, traffic violations, and so forth. But Kirby says, look, we're trying to deal with it. I can't – and he didn't say it like this, but I can't be in the car with all these players. We've educated them. We've brought in authorities. Uh, we have leadership here to try to, you know, balance this out. So, you know, you can take from that from what you want, but uh, we'll see how that plays I'm, out. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'll rescind my previous statement. I thought that was the one misstep he made. And, and, everybody, and we've had guys that cover Georgia kind of have that same mentality on that topic, which is everybody else has that same problem. And I feel like you're trying to to pass the buck or whatever the term would be. I don't I I think from the outside looking in, which most of us are, anybody that doesn't cover Georgia on a day to day basis or is a Georgia fan, I I don't think that answer sits well with a lot of people when you start saying, Well, we don't have that problem and well, you have somebody that's dead. There's there's there there was a fatality. And 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 even after that fatality, you still had guys on this team racing speeding whatever do you have a problem yes leave it at that i have a problem if you have one guy arrested or cited or ticketed you have a problem that's the answer that's the answer and then you go into saying and we're doing everything we can to to uh prevent this from happening again but i don't think you try to lessen it or soften the blow by using the excuse that it's no different on any other campus than it is on ours, I, I think I think I think that's the that's where he probably didn't handle his time behind the mic as well as he could have. You know, even though uh, the commissioner and the coaches, you know, they speak to what I call the print media. It could be others in there. I remember I used to sit in those too. Wherever, where you have the big room, you know, they still have these private interviews going on, the electronic interviews. And I saw where Greg Sankey, the commissioner, yesterday was saying he wouldn't have a problem with ranking teams going into bowl season one through 82. And I thought that was kind of an interesting scenario. He said it happened during the COVID season or something like that, where you rank the teams, notwithstanding wins and losses and things like that. And he said, you know, we did that somewhat in uh, – the year the COVID year and teams with losing records were beating teams with winning records so and that came out during a, a, a private interview on a radio station so I understand our crew this was I found this amusing yesterday because it's happened with me on, on occasion when I used to cover this uh, Greg Sankey is going to be interviewed by our Fantastic Four uh, tomorrow on a taped interview so we'll probably run some of that on Friday but Dan Patrick during his show yesterday said we tried this is his comment we tried to get greg sankey but we were told during media days that he couldn't talk to us because he was too busy and then of course dan came on and said you know he's the father like we're media this is media days why would the guy and i was a little surprised to hear that because usually coaches like saban smart they go where the 
syndicated shows are. I was surprised to hear him say that, that, that Greg Sankey would not go on the show. Apparently, his calendar is all filled up, I'm guessing. But I've had that happen to me up there uh, when I used to cover it, especially at the Winfrey, where I'd get turned down. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is media days. Right. And this is something that people aren't really going to, uh, I think, feel very strongly about unless you're in the media. But you're absolutely right. And this came up yesterday because there's some speculation I heard. I think the SEC Network reported that Saban wasn't doing radio today. Now, that he usually hits two or three of them, including Orlando. I think he does like jocks, jocks Orlando, Alzagari, and, and, and Right. And so maybe maybe he still does those three. But the, the speculation yesterday was he wasn't doing radio today. And this, this topic came up. This is SEC Media Days. It's not SEC Coaches Days. You shouldn't be able to pick and choose. I know it sucks. It's a long day for everybody. But that's the point of bringing all these people together so that they can get the information from you that you hesitate to give because there are so many entities and there's so many requests. So the idea is to bring everybody to one place so you can talk to those people. Now, if you think SEC Media Days is too big, well, get with the SEC Media Office and stop credentialing every podcast and every internet site on, on the face of the planet that claims to cover SEC football. But I think it's like going through a car wash, right? These guys, when they go to Bristol, they always go through the car wash. When you go to Birmingham, your job is to hit – or wherever we're going, uh, Nashville, your job is to hit every single entity that wants to talk to you. Is it possible to hit them all? No, but I you can't walk in and say, all right, I got I got 23 minutes. Let me see how many I can hit and I'm out. No, you're staying until you hit as many of them as possible. And people aren't going to sympathize with that because the general public is going to get the soundbite from Saban or see Saban or whoever. And I'm not talking about Saban. I'm talking about everybody. You're, you're going to get them on ESPN or SEC Network or, or some major, as you pointed out, some uh, syndicated radio show. But all the guys that are that are counting on getting that content for their shows – Need need that opportunity. I was really, really surprised that Hugh Freeze did not make the rounds. I can't ever recall going to media days and the Auburn coach not being available. They didn't even get a taped interview with him. They got a couple of players, but no taped interview with Hugh Freeze. Most of the time that I attended, the Auburn coach would be presented live to us. Really surprised that Hugh Freeze from what I was told, did not go down to Radio Row. Yeah, and I think a lot of that probably, too, is uh, helping try to control the narrative a little bit. Uh, you, if you, if you, And this was kind of what Drinkowitz was trying to do at the podium, right? If you limit the number of questions or the opportunities for engagement, you tend to, to control the narrative a little bit. I'm not sure if there was a reason because I think Hugh has been pretty open and honest about answering questions about anything, quite frankly, including his time at Ole Miss. But uh, I'm just I'm, – I'm as baffled as you are about that. we got a lot to get to throughout the course of today's show. Uh, coming up, we have some um, audio from our good friend Cole Kublik. Our guy sat down with him. We'll hear that at 6.30. Travis Ryer, we'll actually catch up with him at 7 o'clock. Uh, Tony Barnhart scheduled to join us as well. Same with Chris Stewart and Justin Ferguson on Auburn. Uh, our crews in Nashville, you'll hear plenty of audio from day two of SEC Media Days. We'll get you day three as well. Let's start things off with uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. Old Gary Danielson was making the rounds. Interesting scenario. 
that we need to get to. What he calls the most consequential SEC play in the league's history. And it's something you would never have guessed. But it includes Alabama. We'll talk about it. This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNST 105.5. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. There it is. Man, you're hitting it early. Fried deliciousness for the early folk. What do you got? All right. And, uh, you know, the Braves yesterday, I was watching this game. And if you found out the Braves scored 13 runs, you say, wow, that was a great win. No, it wasn't. Arizona beat them 16 to 13. Uh, field goal at the end of the game or whatever. But anyway. In this game, Austin Riley had two home runs, but more importantly, seven RBIs. Name the last team, I'm sorry, name the last player who had seven RBIs in a losing effort. It wasn't too long ago, and it's a very well-known player. The last time that a major leaguer produced seven runs batted in Mark, but his team lost, such as what happened with the Braves last night. All right, if you know the answer, uh, call Nathan at 694-1055, and some Chick-fil-A is yours. A couple of uh, sponsors I want to uh, cite today, Air of Excellence, uh, Allstate Aging Ken Morgan, and Eagle Dent Repair. All right, uh, and uh, Cole Kublik, uh, our guys had a chance to sit down with Cole, uh, so we'll hear that coming up here in just a little bit. Um we're going to try to get to it. We're so jammed right now, but um, and and you'll hear the interview in its entirety. But Gary Danielson was kind of making the rounds, uh, and Gary's always been great to our show. He's been on multiple times here on the opening kickoff. He brought up what he called the. Mo- he was kind of reminiscing a little bit as he enters his last year, or SEC on CBS enters its last year. The most consequential play in the history of SEC. He said, if it goes a different way. Nick Saban may not even be at Alabama. There would be no Nick Saban at Alabama. He went back to a 2006 game between Alabama and and Florida. Urban Meyer versus Mike Shula. Mike Shula lost. They were up like 7-0, I think 10-0 in the first half. It was 10-7 at half. He pinpointed a Chris League pass, which Ramsey Robinson had for an interception, which potentially could have gone back for a pick six, and dude just dropped it. And he says if he doesn't drop it, not only does Alabama uh, win that game, he says Florida probably doesn't win the national championship. Alabama, if they continue to win and grab some momentum from that win, probably doesn't fire Mike Shula. And, And by default, Nick Saban never becomes the coach at Alabama. And the following year, LSU doesn't make the championship game because they had two losses and they got they had the advantage because it was so close because Florida had done what they had done the year before. There was a little SEC bias there. So he talked about this ripple effect. Yeah, I'm not so sure that would have been the case, though. I don't know. Look, it happened so long ago. 
My understanding at the time, Mark, you may know differently. Maybe you have more facts than I did. My understanding was they didn't want to fire Mike Shula. They wanted him to release members of his staff. His loyalty overruled that. He would not fire members of his staff. That's why they let him go. Right, because they weren't winning. Well, whether it was and, and what I'm or saying, not, it, I'm what, what, what Gary is saying is that if they would have won that game, that would have put them on a little bit of a run there that that wouldn't have even been an issue. And because of that, Shula would have been there in a whole set. You know, we would have been in the multiverse there and the timeline, all sorts of craziness would have happened. We'll get back to it. It's it's fascinating, actually. And actually, Cole Kublik joins us next right here on the sports station WNSP. WNSP with you when you're on the go with the WNSP app. Free for Android and Apple. Download WNSP at the App Store today. Important border robbery, a lot of ties between the two schools, the Vince Dooley Pat Dye connection, a lot of respect for Auburn and Hugh. Uh, there's a lot of great rivalries. We, we seem to be, I think somebody told me this once, that we're the only school that has five contiguous states. So go figure. You end up with a lot of rivalries when you touch five states. Um, so priorities will be based on what the SEC office thinks best. I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of input on that. I kind of just deal with the hand that, that we get. All right, 634, welcome in. That uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart there. Welcome back in the opening kickoff as we uh, continue here on day three of the SEC Media Days. And our coverage, uh, thanks to sponsors like Ward International Trucks, LNS Air Conditioning, uh, Rich's Car Wash, and Dixie Supply, and the Keesler Federal Credit Union. All right, he was talking about rivalries. He mentioned Auburn. And coming up now, Michael Bronner, one of our fantastic four we sent up there to Nashville, interviewed the former Auburn Center, now SEC broadcaster and sideline reporter, uh, Cole Kublik. Let's pick up that interview. Live at SEC Media Days 2023 in Nashville, here with SEC Network's Cole Kublik. Cole, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Having fun. You know, the big story of the day, obviously, is Georgia going for a three-peat. Do you see the SEC right now as kind of Georgia and everyone else? I think college football is Georgia and everyone else right now. It's not just the SEC. I mean, I, I think Ohio State, Michigan could have good football teams this year. Penn State could be in the mix, but they're not on Georgia's plateau. You can take any of the Pac-12 teams. They're going to have elite quarterback play. Washington, USC, maybe Oregon State, Oregon. I don't think they're on Georgia's level. Uh, you know, Florida State, Clemson. I mean, some people would have conversations about them. They're not there. So and I think Texas would be the only team in the Big 12 that I would even – have a conversation about and they're a pretty big if even though they do they've got some legit dudes but it's georgia and everybody else in college football now there are some ways that certain teams like a texas like an lsu like a washington could potentially catch them but that's why i think the number is pretty low this year of teams that can win a national title not get to the playoffs it's a very different conversation get to the playoff and then win two of those games i just don't think there's very many of them so i would probably label it more georgia and everybody else around the entire sport than I would just the SEC. Well, it's funny you bring up Texas. A lot of people have labeled this Alabama-Texas Week 2 game as the biggest non-conference game in Bryant-Denny history, which really hard-pressed to argue against. It's kind of an early measuring stick for Alabama. What are you expecting to see out of that one? You know, is, is Quinn Ewers just going to come in and light up Alabama? No, that secondary is good. Dallas Turner can get to the quarterback. Jaheim Otis can get to the quarterback. I think Kevin Steele 
will bring a less aggressive style to Alabama's defense that won't put them in as many high-risk situations. Alabama's got corners. Alabama's got nickels and safeties that are versatile, that can move around, and it can change one another. I don't think they're going to be in too many bad matchups. Now, the difference is, like, Xavier Worthy can go. Zion Aor can go. Like, they've, they got received. They got a tight end. It's a mismatch against just about anybody. So, and like you said, Quinn Yours is super talented. He's played some good football. He's played some mediocre football. Um, you know, physically, are they going to be able to hold up? That'd be the question. Yeah, they did last year. They made they made Alabama sort of play their game a little bit last year. I think this will be a different Alabama football team, and they'll try to force Texas to play their style game this year, which will be a little bit more physical. Cole, week to week, I know you being a former offensive lineman, they don't get a lot of love, but if you had to look and grade out where you're seeing the SEC from an offensive lineman standpoint and from a special team standpoint, that third phase that often goes overlooked, who has the best offensive line coming in and the best special teams play? Uh, the best offensive line is Georgia going into the season. I do think that LSU is probably close. I think Alabama has a chance to take a pretty big step and be in that conversation. I think there's some underrated groups like Missouri. Uh, not only many people know about Javon Foster, I think he's the most NFL-ready tackle in the league right this second. Um, but you just think, I, I think the old Miss group could be pretty good. Uh, are they going to be dominant like Georgia? They're physically not capable of doing those things, but they're asked to be a different type of group. So I, I think A&M is a group that they got guys that have some really good tape and last year had some bad tape. It's not a nice way to say it. But Layden Robinson's played good football. Ruben Fogley's played good football. So if that group finds continuity, they had a first-year head coach or offensive line coach last year in Joe Adazio who was very different than who they had before. Coach Henson, very player-friendly. Now you get an old-school guy who's kind of rough and gruff. So I think that part probably set them back a little bit. They may be a little bit more in tune this year and could have a good year. Special teams, I have no idea. I don't really care, to be honest with you. Obviously, Auburn, it's been rough on the offensive line for the last two years. And Hugh Freeze, you know, part of that 25 or whatever the number of players is that he brought in was an entirely new offensive line. You know, you being a former offensive lineman, how difficult is it going to be? You know, they brought in some talent, but, you know, part of that talent is being able to play together. So what are you expecting out of Auburn's offensive line this year? It's going to be hard. They have a couple things working for them. They have a scheme that can be offensive lineman friendly. It can... It can negate a little bit of dominance being necessary at times. Now, they would want, they still want it to be that. It's just that I think there's an understanding that utilizing tempo, spreading people out, sometimes it's not exactly what you have to be to be successful. Also, Jake Thorne's a really good offensive line coach, and I think that he'll have the ability to bring them a little bit closer and sort of build that continuity early, but that's the key. I tell people all the time, the only way to be a good offensive lineman is to do it against people trying to make you look bad at full speed. Well, the only way to be a good offensive line is to do it against people trying to make you look bad at full speed together. And they're just not going to have a ton of reps doing that. I mean, Dylan Wade was at Tulsa. Avery Jones was at ECU. Uh, you know, Gunnar Britton was at Western Kentucky. So, you know, like you got a junior college kid that could come in and potentially play one of the tackle spots. Like, I, I, that part of it is going to be difficult no matter how you spin it. That's why I think the A&M game is crucial. We're going to learn right away if they're going to be able to handle it, if they're close, if it looks like it's even possible, or if it's still going to be a liability because that D-line can absolutely rip. So I, I think they'll try to help them out with how they call things early, but you're going to have to build continuity and chemistry across the course of the season at some point in time. The good news is they have upgraded talent at almost every spot. We have. They have three better tackles right now than they had last year. They have a better center than they had last year. So, And then they could bump a guy like Gunnar Britton down to guard. He might be a better guard 
I, mean, I think they have one guard coming back that's going to be really good, but he could be better than the opposite guard that they had last year. So the talent upgrade is going to be significant. Now it's just finding a way to harness it, build the continuity, the chemistry, educate it, and then motivate it once you actually get into games. The motivation for the Auburn fan base coming in and selling out Jordan-Hare Stadium for the regular season, that's a new look for this era of Hugh Freeze football. I know you being a former Auburn grad, how exciting is it to see the reinvigoration of the fan base for certain? Well, it never went away. It's just a matter of, you know, were the fans, did the fans feel like it was worth, was the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's easy sometimes to look at it and say, not going to be in the bowl game that I want, not going to compete for the division, not win a championship, so why should we go? Uh, unfortunately, I would always like to see everybody want to go to the stands and be there and cheer the team on either way. But the excitement is at a level that should have been anticipated with some of the things that were going to happen. But I don't know if we could have expected all of this. I mean, you bring in the best quarterback. We mentioned all the best offensive line positions, the best tight end on the roster, the two best receivers on the roster, the best edge defender on the roster, the best nose guard on the roster, maybe the two best linebackers on the roster. Like, that gets people excited. That's the first hurdle. The next hurdle is the organization and the, the preparation and then the motivation once you actually go play. So there are still massive hurdles that lie ahead. But Hugh Freeze has leaped over the first one, maybe two, with flying colors. Last question I got for you, Cole. I know you're taking Georgia in the SEC East. If I, if I put it to you and said, you know, who's coming out of the SEC West and facing Georgia and Atlanta, who's it going to be? I'd say LSU right now. Uh, I just think there's a difference in quarterback. You have a returner that's dynamic. You have one of the best receiving cores in college football. You have one of the better offensive lines in the SEC or in college football. You have the best defensive player in the SEC, one of the best in college football. Uh, if Mason Smith and Makai Wingo are healthy, that's one of the best tandems of defensive tackles in college football. So they got a chance to be really good, man. And I think Brian Kelly has proved his worth as a head coach with what he did last year. Cole Kubelik, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for having me. You know, there's no doubt who's going to dominate today, Mark. I mean, you look at the teams that are up there, Alabama, and then the other three, <laughs> Arkansas, Florida, and Kentucky. I mean, most of the comments when I look on the Internet sites tonight, tomorrow, will be what Nick Saban has to say. And I'm curious, too, because he generally uses this platform to um, push an agenda. I'm wondering what that agenda might be this year. I mean, I think we've done the whole NIL thing. I think it'll be NIL. You I think? do. I do. I really do. I think that will be one thing. I don't know if he'll get into conference scheduling like Kirby. We had that comment from Kirby about down the road about rivalries. Um, and I'm not sure it'll be about the portal. I think that's been tossed around too much. No, I think it's going to be about NIL. And I'm trying to think what else besides his own team. Well, obviously – Many of the reporters that I've talked to, and we do have Travis Ryer coming up, they're going to concentrate on the quarterbacks. I know when I was watching some of the SEC show yesterday that you do, that that issue came up. Uh, Ty Simpson, is he actually the quarterback right now uh, in the lead for the starting job? So you got to figure about the team. The quarterback issue yeah. will be first and foremost. But I think NIL, and to that I saw where uh, AL.com reported our own uh, – well, our coach down here at South Alabama went up to Washington, D.C. to meet with Tuberville and Katie Britt yeah. uh, on NIL. Yeah, Kane uh, Womack was uh, 
doing what the SEC did. Well, I guess it was two, three weeks ago now. I went up to Washington. Uh, uh, so clearly we'll make some time probably after this week to get the South Alabama coach on and talk a little bit about his experiences uh, up there. All right. Did we get a winner on the Chick-fil-A? No winner. Do you want to throw it out? Right, one more time. This is it. It's your last chance. Otherwise, Mark walks away with Woo-woo. it. All right, Austin Riley. Uh, you can't hear the answer. You can't hear the question. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt, but let's That's not do all right, this. All right. Should we go to break? No. Uh, okay. Austin. Yeah, we're going to go to break. Uh, Austin Riley, seven RBIs in a losing effort. They lost to Arizona 16-13. to 13. They were... Some of the commentators were making fun that this was like the Arizona Cardinals beating the Atlanta Falcons last night. I want to know, name the last major league player and one that is very well known who had seven RBIs for his team in a losing effort. All right. And it's not Heim from Texas. Give it a shot, 694-1055. There's no shame in not calling today, nor is there any shame in getting it wrong. All right, 645, we'll come back, see if we can catch up with Roy Hudson here. We'll wrap up our number one here. Our SEC Media Day coverage continues right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Wrapping up our number one announcement. The uh, the guessing game is over. There is no winner. So Heim's the big winner. Congratulations. The answer was Shohei, Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. Seven RBIs in a losing effort a couple years ago. I said it was a well-known player. Yep. I did say that. And somebody's going to be eating good today, and his name is Heim. You don't even have to go seven times today. That's right. Although I'll give it a shot. Any recommendations? I'm sure Nathan. Well, you know, you don't even need him. You have a son that used to work there, right? Or still does? Uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We gotta we gotta talk to Nathan. He's got a colorful uh, uh, employment history. He's hit all the major chains. It appears he's he's wearing a shirt. Here's that the, you might recognize, too. Here's the question I have. Gary Stoken's going to join us. How many years have we talked to Gary Stoken, the head, the CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl? But I don't think it's, it's a Chick-fil-A anymore. He used to come. Remember when? Well, you weren't there, but he'd come and he'd distribute uh, gift cards. And I told the group going up, I said, when Gary's here, he's probably going to give you gift cards for Chick-fil-A. But I don't think that's the title sponsor anymore. I saw Of the Peach Bowl? Yeah. I, I think they have a new sponsor. So when Gary comes on around 820, uh, we'll check in with him. Right now, no change in Community Bank. Uh, they've been with us as a, a sponsor for a long, long time. And Roy Hudson is the reason. He's the president, marketing, PR, you name it, he does it. Good morning, Roy. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, do a little bit of everything, that's for sure. So uh, before we get to the banking business, anything Hugh Freeze said that caught your attention yesterday? Uh, no, I think it's, it's just typical coach speak about being passionate and fundamentally sound and having a chance in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's probably the thing that he didn't say is about the running back and where that stands. That's probably the biggest question now. You know, obviously, uh, Hunter's probably our best player and uh, – it sure would be nice to have him, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's got to be sorted out about that whole situation. But, uh, 
I guess we'll know before long because of the window closing on the uh, start of the season. Mark, was he asked directly about Hunter? Yeah, twice in in, in both the uh, uh, big room and uh, one of the alternate rooms. And he and to your point, Roy, he specifically said, "I just can't comment on that due to the ongoing investigation." So he was asked at least twice. I'm kind of surprised in this day and age that nothing's come out on this, Mark. I mean, this goes back a couple of months ago. We talked about this, and that to this point, nothing has come out at all. Nothing. Nada. Well, we know there's yeah. a lot coming out of uh, Community Bank. What is there? That's right. What do we got to talk right. about? That's uh, right. Look, we just use a simple formula over at the bank. You know, great products, great rates, great bankers equals happy customers. Whether it's loans, checking accounts, or even wealth management, our team's here to help. And, Lee, I invite all your listeners, if they've got a financial need coming up, that they can come in and talk with them with one of our experienced bankers, and we can help them out. Roy, how, uh, is there a number to reach in case somebody has any questions? Yeah, yeah I'm glad you asked. It's 338-7707, or they can just walk into any of our offices around Mobile and Baldwin County. Roy, it's interesting that we have you on. I'm curious, how many people do you know work directly with cash? And I only bring this up because this was a topic of conversation yesterday with a former SEC coach who made four to 40 in one year, 40 four-digit uh, four or five-digit uh, deposits. Like, it was uh, it was uh, Jeremy Pruitt. I'll just tell you straight up. I'm not saying that right. Help me out, Nathan. Oh, withdrawals. Oh, okay. oh yeah. withdrawals. He made no, withdrawals. came out in all, all the publications, all the news right. media. So yeah. how, how is that usual at your place? Do you have a lot of withdrawals at, at the you ATMs know, for that amount of money? Yeah, usually you don't see a lot of cash. It's, it's definitely getting away from that. But uh, some people still do, you know, and I guess if you're trying to, uh, I don't know, do something different, maybe maybe you still go after the cash. But it's not like it was, that's for sure. The, the age of electronic uh, ACH has, has changed that tremendously. All right, and before we let you go, can we set up an appointment for Lee for someone to help him with an ATM? Not that he needs it, not that he wants it. Oh, no, I, I would need Look, it, but I, I won't do it. I will personally help Lee if he drops by the uh, office wow. with his, uh, any, any financial question that he has. I will never go to an ATM. He, he won't do it. Never. He's only been, no. been in an ATM once in his life, All and right. someone showed can him I, how to do it. Can I explain why? Sure. All right, and Roy, you can help yeah. me out on this. I have heard, I don't know for a fact because I, I don't do it, I have heard that you have people out there who, when a person goes to an ATM, they're out spying and try to f- pick out these numbers and everything and then go and use your accounts and things like that. Have you ever ha- seen that happen, or has that ever come to your uh, well, attention? Well, that, that is uh, – usually they try to put a device on the machine itself that will track that, and uh, just like at the gas station, so it's a PSA, I guess. What I always do at the gas stations, I reach up in the little device that you actually stick your card in. I always pull on it to see if there's anything attached to it. I'm just anal in that way. I don't want anybody getting my information. And it's the same way with the ATM before you put it in. Usually those are external devices that the uh, criminals go on and put on there. But typically you don't have somebody sitting in the wings with a um, set of binoculars or anything trying to get your number. So you're pretty safe in that regard. All right, well, we'll let you know when he's there because you help him, and then just for fun, I'll sit in the bushes with a pair of binoculars just just <laughs> to stress him out a little bit. All right, Ro- good. we appreciate it, Roy. Thanks for everything. All right, thank you. Roy Hudson from Community Bank. Some of our sponsors appreciate Keesler Federal Credit Union, the Cart Doctor, Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm, McConnell Automotive, DMC, and also New Century Tires and Wheels. They are 
among our many, many sponsors for SEC Media Days, which is going to continue right through Friday. Excellent. Uh, speaking of our coverage, we're going to uh, talk to Travis Ryer coming up here at seven o'clock. Uh, we have some um, we have some audio with uh, Mississippi State coach Zach Ar- uh, Arnett. Arnett will do uh, it in hour number two as well. And Tony Barnhart scheduled to join us as well. Um, we'll also hear from Kirby Smart. Chris Stewart's going to join us in hour number three. You mentioned Gary Stoke and, and Justin Ferguson on Auburn. So, and we may even hear, I think Corey's going to hop on there at the end. Well, among the, they may all hop on for all I know. Uh, Corey ha- couldn't make it yesterday that, I guess that overnight injury. At the yeah, we'll have to get race. some clarification. Yeah. Apparently, uh, maybe he's on the DL. We'll have to hear what's up. But our crew up there has been taping a lot of interviews. You've probably heard some of them on the afternoon show. You'll be hearing some of those on the morning show through Friday. Kind of anxious to see if they're going to get Nick Saban. As you know, your uh, your big star behind the glass, Nick Wiggins, promised. Guaranteed. Yeah, he did. He guaranteed. The Triple G guarantee. An interview with uh, Nick Saban. So, Mark, you asked me. I said NIL. I said quarterbacks. Anything else that comes to mind today that you're – attentive to with him today the head coach because that's going to be the main topic i mean nothing against arkansas nothing against florida nothing against kentucky but alabama's just gonna nick's gonna oversee it he's gonna be the man uh, i really hope someone asks him about jeremy pruitt you think they will no but i hope they do i want them to i think he might say something about nil as it, in in terms of him going up to washington uh, and, and going through that process, I think that'll be an issue. And I, but I think from a football standpoint, I think most people are going to be talking about expectations. Um, you know what's happening? Not though? being kind of the 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 favorite in the West. You know what's happening though, and you brought this up, that reporters aren't being given enough time to ask questions. These coaches up there are just going too long. Yeah. With their answers. Now I'm I'm talking about when they in the big room when they get on these the SEC now or the, the shows, the podium, which are being televised, it's a little bit different. But during when they get up there, they're not getting – they're not giving an opportunity to be asked a lot of questions. That's what I've been talking about. Get rid of the opening statements. Just get rid of them. There's and, and you know the other thing we can get rid of? I thought it was cool when he first did it. Can we get rid of the introductions from Greg Sankey? And the music. I, I'd rather say get rid of the music before they get rid of – the also, introductions, but they play the fight song and it's really loud, and I don't think it's in the room. It just doesn't work. Also, I'm curious next year with Oklahoma and Texas, do you go to five days? I would. You Absolutely. Would? Five days? Yeah. Oh, boy. Let's do it. It's SEC Media Days. Yeah, Let's call it en- SEC you, Media you Week. Can't, you can't get enough of it. Huh, I, you know what we do? Why don't we pick only some of them to rep- be represented at SEC Media Days? If you win, you're in. If you're not, only teams with a winning record the year yep, before. I like it. All right. Travis Ryers next. Stay with us. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 
704, welcome in. Thanks for hanging with us on this Wednesday edition as our coverage of the SEC Media Days continues right here on the Sports Station WNSP. And it's uh, brought to you by these two uh, wonderful sponsors, Grizz Markets and Cash Saver. They're celebrating their 107th anniversary. That means big things for the customers. They've got a lot of promotions going on. We'll talk about that later in the week. Also, Pat's Industrial and Auto Supply. I uh, really appreciate them coming aboard. All right, it is day three starting today. Nick Saban, of course, front and center. Uh, yesterday, the, the two coaches who got the lion's share of publicity, uh, Kirby Smart of Georgia and Hugh Freeze of Auburn. And let's bring in uh, Travis Ryer on three, Bama Online right now. Travis Ryer, who covers Alabama very, very well. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Travis, uh, Mark had raised the question, what kind of questions, if the media has the uh, room to ask questions, which hasn't been the case so far with some of these guys, what what do you think he'll address today? What do you think the, the main topics for the uh, coach of the Crimson Tide? Well, I think there will be uh, sort of revisitation to the, the schedule aspect of things with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league next year and the debate or the talk about going from eight conference games to nine, maybe ten, because we've heard Nick talk in the past about possibly upping the ante. And then when it became more of a discussion, um, you know, there were concerns, I think, for Nick on uh, in behalf of who Alabama was going to draw on an annual basis and how would that play into non-conference scheduling. But as far as his football team right now, I think obviously quarterback is going to be heavily discussed and, um, you know, some other areas of this football team too. Uh, but, but it all starts at, at quarterback as we know. Yeah. And the narrative so far that I'm hearing and watching what's going on up there in Nashville is that Ty Simpson's the leader in the clubhouse. Are you buying into that? No, I don't. I don't think he. There's any leader in the clubhouse right now. Uh, if there was, if Ty Simpson was a leader in the clubhouse, I don't think he'd go get Tyler Buckner, right? So, um, I consider leader in the clubhouse to be after a day. And after a day, what we know is that Alabama went out and brought in Tyler Buckner to add to that competition. So, you know, I know there's been some, some statements made by, you know, media up there, some former SEC quarterbacks among them, that uh, they, they expect it to play out that way, that, that Ty Simpson in time uh, will be the guy. And that would not surprise me. Um, you know, I, I really am not going to allow myself to be surprised by anything at quarterback. But, um, you know, I think all three of those guys are obviously going to open camp with an opportunity um, you know, the concern is how quickly can you get it down to a couple of guys? And I know you got Middle Tennessee to open the season, so you can carry that thing over into the uh, the opener. But you got Texas the next week, and so uh, you, you better be ready at the quarterback position because you, know, you have some questions to answer on the defensive side. And with Texas bringing a lot of offensive weaponry to Tuscaloosa, you could find yourself in a situation where you have to score. Um, you know, into the 30s maybe to, to win that game in, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, Travis Ryer from On3 uh, joining us. Um, I forgot who it was. There's been so many speakers, as you know. I can't keep track of who said what, but somebody said that Alabama, just move ahead from the quarterback position, is really talented. I mean, just overloaded with talent, especially at wide receiver. Is that true? There are some talented guys, no doubt. There are 
are a couple of guys that I think are at least semi-proven in Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton. Is there that guy? Uh, I think that's still the, the question there. Um, they have some guys. Do they have that guy, like a Jerry Judy, like a Devontae Smith? You know, we haven't seen that from this latest group. Uh, we didn't see it a year ago, and it's still open-ended, I think, going into – 2023 so opportunity is still there for a guy like Malik Benson to come in from the junior college ranks and really establish himself as a number one type but you know this group right now still has the look of kind of a by committee uh, but the good news is the committee is is deep in terms of talented options Isaiah Bond uh, when you go into that mix as well along with Burton and uh, Benson and um, and Ja'Cory you know, they, they certainly have plenty of talented options, no doubt. Travis Rogers, our guest here on WNSP. Uh, I'm curious to get your take on a couple things that aren't necessarily Alabama football related in terms of on the field. So Gary Danielson made his rounds yesterday, which was it, it's always uh, interesting to hear his take, especially now that he's going into his final year with SEC on CBS. He, he said, and it was an interesting take because we always hear the whole, what if Drew Brees would have gone to Miami under Saban scenario? Would he have, you know, he never would have been the Alabama coach. He said, and you, I don't know if you heard this, that the most consequential play, and I use the word, he used the word consequential, play in SEC history was a play in 2006, Urban Myers, Florida Gators, Mike Shula's Alabama Crimson Tide. When Chris Leak floated a pass out that Ramsey Robinson should have caught and, and and probably would have scored a pick six, he said dropped it. If he doesn't drop that and scores on that play, he feels like not only does Alabama win that game, Florida doesn't win the national championship. Shula, if he can string some games together off that momentum, never gets fired. Onward and onward, the dominoes don't fall. Saban's never the coach. And in, in addition, LSU probably doesn't get the uh, the uh, the bid for a college football playoff na- or a college or a national championship the year after because it had two losses, rotting the momentum of Florida. That's a lot to digest. What's your reaction? Yeah, Gary's good at that. If you ever watched the <laughs> SEC on yeah. CBS broadcast, and no, I remember the play clearly. I was in Gainesville uh, on a warm Saturday afternoon. Uh, early in the 2006 season, uh, you know, Alabama had already scored a defensive touchdown in that game. Prince Hall, if you remember, yeah. the inside linebacker, you had a fumbled or a botched center quarterback exchange, I believe it was, uh, as my aging memory, you know, is, is being tested now. But, um, no, I, I think, you know, certainly in that particular game, when you think back to it, that was – that was one that got away um, in some ways. The, the, the problem with that is that sort of scenario summed up Mike's tenure at Alabama yeah. uh, almost in, in a lot of instances because, you know, from the Florida perspective, he, he's probably right in terms of the Gators national championship hopes in 2006. But, man, there was still so much football to be played, um, you know, at the end of the day when the month of November especially rolled around, Alabama just did not get the job done, including a home loss to Mississippi State. So uh, even with a win over Florida for Alabama in that scenario, you know, a month later in, I believe, Knoxville, it was, man, a a close loss, you know, an almost 
um, for Alabama in, in, in Knoxville. And then, uh, you know, you, you get into uh, November again, and you had the Mississippi State loss to Sylvester Croom, and, uh, you know, you lose to LSU on the road and uh, lose at home in the Iron Bowl. So uh, there were still some things that, you know, I, I don't know from the Alabama perspective that, that Mike was going to survive. Uh, the uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, do you think Nick Saban gets asked about Jeremy Pruitt today? He could, yeah, he could, and and, and you know, I, I don't, I think you're going to get the kind of answer you would expect to that question in light of recent events. So um, that that wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, because of the timeliness of it with what's happened here in the last week or so and the. In the infractions and um, you know sanctions that have been passed down to Tennessee and in the wake of that whole situation, so it's a possibility. Hey, let me ask you something. Uh, as we've talked to a number of reporters who are kind of like aligned with a certain program, Travis, were you ever invited to one of those pre-interviews with the uh, coach? Uh, this would be with Nick Saban, you know, where he meets with some of the beat reporters. Did you ever attend one of those? Yes, yes, I have. Um, very interesting. Uh, pizza was provided, so that attracted um, a good bit of us. <laughs> but no, it, it, it's it, it was it was fascinating because you kind of are positioned there uh, with with Saban in the round, so to speak, and you know he's sitting there with a styrofoam cup of coffee. And you're just basically talking football and a lot of things that are some things that you wouldn't um, be privy to in a in a formal press conference setting um, is is brought to the forefront. And it's it's done with the understanding that, you know, it's it's a discussion and it's more for background for those who have covered or cover. Alabama in the past or now and um, very informative and uh, you know enjoyable so uh, yeah I've, I've been I've been a part of those uh, Travis uh, we asked you the questions you thought Saban was gonna uh, be asked when he gets up there for the podium in the opening statement typically uses that platform to push I don't want to use the word agenda sometimes that has a negative connotation but an idea or or um, or an opinion. Theme. Yeah, that's yeah. probably a better word. That's why you write. What uh, do you think that's a possibility? And if so, what what could that possibly be today? Oh, um, yes, I, I think so. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if if he does go that route. If it's you know uh, the, the the Alabama standard, um, getting back to to the standard that Alabama's accustomed to, and you know, what that starts with, um, you know, physicality was a big uh, part of the, the spring uh, message, I guess you could call it. And we heard that over and over again, physicality and, um, you know, fundamental football, um, you know, getting back to more of a, 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 a basic approach to things. And so that wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, and also the, the fact that, you know, there's opportunity. Opportunity abounds, uh, especially in the transfer portal era. And not just in terms of your first 22, but 23 to 45 when you start talking about depth and important 
contributors from that standpoint and also how they work into special teams. Um, you know, roster management, I think, is something that you could hear Nick either asked about or uh, unsolicitedly touch on today. Hey, Travis, great stuff. I know you guys are going to be busy. How can people get the latest and greatest on all things Alabama today? Just go to BamaOnline.com. We'll have you covered. Hey, man, we'll be following you on Twitter there at Travis Ryer. Have a great week. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right, scoreboard traffic and weather next. You'll hear a little bit of an interview with uh, Mississippi State coach Zach Arnett, uh, Tony Barnhart scheduled for 730, and you'll hear some stuff from Kirby Smart as well as our SEC Media Days coverage continues here on the Sports Station. Uh, continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian with you. Uh, we're just cruising along here on a Wednesday. Stay with us. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. And you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Listen. I ain't had a kicker that could put it through the uprights in a long time consistently. It's driven me crazy now. I mean, I like to the point where I'm just going for it. Um, and 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 look, we hadn't had a game yet, so I'm not. But in spring practice, I was like overjoyed. Like every time we kick, like oh my gosh, I got a kicker. This guy can put points on the board, and that's the way I felt about him after spring practice. And hopefully that continues uh, throughout the season. Yeah, Auburn coach uh, Hugh Freeze there. Imagine being the kicker at Liberty last year, sitting here and hearing that sound bite. You're like, oh, dang, that's rough. Yeah, you know, Auburn, what, how many years has a Carlson been kicking? So yeah. this year it's McPherson. I'm going to look up the name of the Liberty kicker from last year. That was uh, his reference to McPherson, who will be kicking this year. You know, Carlson, they're gone, the, the brothers. Uh, of course, our media Days uh, in Nashville. Uh, we're into day three today. Do want to thank Air of Excellence, Chavis Furniture, New Century Tires, the attorneys at Hedge Copeland Law Firm, Eagle Dent, and McConnell Buick GMC. All right, yesterday, among the many, many interviews, the Fantastic Four, that's what I call the group we sent up there to Nashville. Uh, let's see, it was Corey Labounty this time interviewing Mississippi State. Head for Human coach, Torch. Zach Arnett. Now, he's in his first year. You remember what happened the passing way of Mike Leach. So, Arnett was elevated. Here's the interview. 2023 SEC Media Day is coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee. Mississippi head football coach joining us this afternoon. Coach, thank you. How's Media Day's been treating you so far? Yeah, it's been good so far. It's exciting to be here. Obviously, uh, I think most coaches, you kind of view Media Days as the unofficial kickoff to the start of football season. So, Get your competitive juices flowing, get you energized and uh, uh, ready to go for the work ahead. Coach, you had an opportunity to take over in a tragic situation. I know that that's something all college football fans, including the commissioner, addressed early. I know that it's going to be probably a, a, a season of, of really a lot of emotions, not only for you, but your players. But talk about that a little bit. Well, obviously, we wish it was under different circumstances, to say the least, right? Coach Leach is a legend. He's one of a kind. Uh, you know, you it can't be understated how the impact he has had on a game of football and his influence on particularly in the passing attack. And so uh, we lost we lost a legend, but, you know, there's still going to be a football season, right? And they're still going to put the ball down and there's going to be a winner, winner and a loser. So we got to go to work. That's what training camp's about. We got to go to work so we can be the best football team we can be. And uh, I'm confident with the guys we got in our locker room, the coaches we got on staff. Right? If, we, if we get to work and we show up prepared, we'll line up versus anybody. 
a couple of those coaches you have on staff are former South Alabama coaches. Coach Campbell and Coach Jones, I know what they mean to Mobile, Alabama, and have meant to South Alabama. The influence that they're having on your staff. Yeah, you know, they're former head coaches of South Alabama. They're actually former assistants at Mississippi State, too. So they got, you know, it's tremendous value to you when you have former head coaches on your staff because they give you sounding boards to bounce idea off of, talk to. Uh, those guys have had tremendous careers, right? They're tremendous recruiters. Um, and so to have them on the staff working is, uh, is an incredible benefit to me. Divisionless football in 2024, you finish up 2023 SEC West. I know you want to be the SEC West champion. Talk about divisionless football, but trying to take care of 2023, winning the SEC West. Yeah, we don't talk nothing about 2024 in our building, right? It's, all our focus is on 2023. Uh, there ain't no weeks off in this league, right? I mean, every week you're playing someone who's one of some of the best football programs in the country. And so we'll worry about 2024 when we get to it. But I'm confident Commissioner Sankey and everyone else involved you know, going to that divisionless format, like you said, they've done everything they can to make make strength of schedule as equitable across the league as, as possible. And uh, we're going to have some opportunity to play in some great locations. But we, we got to focus on the task at hand, and that's taking care of business in 2023. Stark Vegas, what makes it so great for the fans and yourself to, to give you the emotions of coming out as the first time as the head coach of the Bulldogs? Well, you just said you just said what makes it great. Obviously, it's our fan base, right? I mean, without a doubt, it is the most loyal fan base in all of college athletics. Anyone will tell you, Starkville, Mississippi is a special place. Right? Those cowbells certainly go a long way in, in creating that environment. Uh, we have we have tremendous support from our fans. I think anytime anyone ever comes to Starkville and experiences it, they want to come back. Coach, can't thank you enough for your time. Wish you the best in 2023 for sure. Yeah, thank you very much. Hell State. All right, that was the interview with Zach Arnett. I wanted to add one thing to that. Uh, Mississippi State, if you know, has a record-breaking quarterback on their roster, and that's Will Rogers. And there was a quarterback from Vanderbilt, Mark, named Mike Wright, who transferred to Mississippi State. But uh, Arnett made it clear, there's no doubt who my number one is. It's Will Rogers. I mean, this guy was a record-breaking quarterback, uh, back this year, one of the most recognizable quarterbacks in the league. So despite the transfer from Vanderbilt, Right now, this this team belongs to Rodgers. By the way, uh, Braden Beck is the kicker for Liberty. <laughs> did a little research there. And how did he do last year? Um, wow, that's what freezes. The link to the Liberty Flames football page is broken. Oh, they deleted it. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, um, he's they, he led the Flames in field goals in 2021, but that. I guess that's like being the tallest short person. I, I don't I don't know if that really means anything. He finished the season connecting on four or five field goals, but I can't that's all I can see on the, the first page. Hang in there, Braden. Better things are coming, sir. Uh when we come back, we'll see if we can catch up with Tony Barnhart. And uh we'll also give you some uh some audio of Kirby Smart and part of that interview as well. Chris Stewart kicks off hour number three. Stay with us. The opening kickoff continues here during day three of SEC Media Days. All right, 
732, welcome back in as our SEC Media Days coverage continues here on WNSP. Mark and Lee right here on the sports station WNSP. I'd like to thank uh, Ken Morgan, uh, Allstate agent, uh, one of our sponsors, along with Eagle Dent, LNS Air Conditioning, Ward International Trucks, and Rich's Car Wash. We've got a number of sponsors. We also have a number of great guests. And among them is Tony Barnhart. I miss being up there with Tony. He's always great to uh, talk football with. And not only is he Mr. College Football, but he's also a member of the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Foundation board member. Tony, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Well, it's great, Lee. We missed you. We missed you being here in, in Nashville. It's been an interesting first two days. And uh, got Coach Nick Saban coming up today, which is always uh, entertaining. I don't doubt he's on your list of Coach Dodd, uh, trophy members maybe winning it again, winning it this year. Yeah, he uh, he is, and uh, it, we there's a handful of coaches that won it two times, and uh, so that that is not unprecedented. Vince Dooley won it two times, as a matter of fact. All right, let me ask you this: What if I, I, you had a list? I guess twenty or twenty so, but let's say somebody like uh, oh maybe Kane Womack goes undefeated. Womack goes undefeated at South Alabama. Could he then emerge as possible winner? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last year's winner was Willie Fritz at Tulane. And uh, so I th- he had a tremendous year, obviously had the big win over USC in the Cotton Bowl. But, yes, ab- absolutely. Tony, uh, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I'm just saying absolutely. Coaches coaches at all levels are eligible for the Dodd Trophy. What, what makes this trophy different from other coaching awards? Well, I mentioned Willie Fritz. Uh, you know, there were a lot of coaches that had great years last year, but it, it's more, Lee, it's, it's not just about wins and losses. Now, you got to win games. You understand that. But uh, there's an academic component to this. Uh, you, need an a, you need an APR. Your team has to have an APR of a minimum 980 to make the watch list. It's about community service. And overall, you know, putting football in perspective. And, and Willie Fritz was a great uh, – was a great uh, winner of the Dodd Trophy. And what happens is that we present the award on campus. I'm on the board, and we present the award on campus at a banquet so his family, his coaches, and all the members of the staff can come and see. And uh, so we flew into New Orleans, and they took us over to Tulane where we were going to have the uh, event. And all of the football players were dressed out in their jerseys to serve as uh, escorts for us. And we thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and that's who South Alabama opens up with Tulane this year. <laughs> About that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tulane opens up with South Alabama, and then they play Ole Miss in in New Orleans. How about yeah. that? All right, Tony. Let me ask you: If I gave you Georgia or the field, who would you take? Georgia, uh, the most the most talented team. Logically, you should always take the field. Percentages play in your favor. But uh, I'm sitting here looking at this Georgia team. It's not logical they should win three in a row because it's hard to do, and nobody's done it in the modern era. But uh, I think he has a combination of good returning, really great returning players and young guys who haven't, who are talented but haven't had their chance yet. So I'm uh, in the in my early speeches, uh, Lee, as I've gone around, I, I have picked uh, I picked Georgia to win a third straight national championship. A lot of great uh, storylines. A lot of questions we're looking for answers for, Tony. Uh, it's in tr- this whole Jimbo Fisher, uh, Bobby Petrino thing. I know you've <laughs> talked about it this week. It's so intriguing to so many people. It, uh, I call it the grand experiment. Yeah. Uh, it's either going to be 
an unqualified success or an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, I don't know which it's going to be, uh, but it's, you know, Jimbo was a little coy early in the week about Bobby calling the plays, and it, that was there was no need for that. The bottom, yeah, the bottom line is whatever you think about Bobby Petrino, the guy can call plays and he can coach quarterbacks, and that's what they need to be more productive at Texas A&M. And I'm, I'm, I might just see how it works out. They play Miami early in the schedule. Uh, that, that could be very interesting. You know, it, it's interesting. The way you're right, the way Jimbo handled it, I thought, I thought Hugh Freeze kind of did it the right way, right? I mean, he just came out and said, this is the way it's going to be. You didn't get exactly. that from Jimbo. And he just, <laughs> I just feel like he added fuel to the fire. Yeah, don't, don't be coy, Jimbo. That's not, that's, that's not going to work. Because because the media folks are going what yeah what what, what, what are you doing right. and no don't 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 try to be coy. coaches don't do coy very well okay they they do decisions very well and uh, I, I thought uh, Jimbo gave himself a little um, a little controversy where he didn't need to but it wasn't necessary. Which of the coaches so far have you found entertaining, if all, if any of them? I, I thought I thought Hugh Freeze was I don't know if entertaining is the right word, but he understands the scope of what he's uh, up against, and I thought he was very candid. He said, "Hey, we may have to play two quarterbacks you know, when when all said and done," and so I, I enjoy that. Uh, I always enjoy Brian Kelly. Uh, you know, uh, Brian Kelly has uh, has a great. Uh, Personality, and he, somebody asked him about his his accent. He said, "My accent, I'm, I've got it. I've got it down now. I'm a good. Now, yeah. if I travel to another. I travel to another part of the state. Yeah, maybe it gets off a little bit, but uh, I'm doing fine. And they they're going to have a really good football team because they have what very few teams in this half league have right now, and that's a proven quarterback. Just referring to their their coaches before this, as I use the word print media. It's a couple of things have uh, stuck out. Number one, these long-winded opening statements, leaving few <laughs> questions. The other thing, too, I was really surprised that Hugh Freeze did not make the rounds of Radio Row. I was not aware of that. I was not aware of that. Uh, yesterday was, was a crazy day for me. So I've heard rumors you know, I, I, that, that that might happen. So uh, that's unfortunate. Nick Saban today, Tony, you've had discussions with him in the past. What are some of the issues do you think he'll address or should address? Well, the, the question is he, he's got to figure out the quarterback position. Is it going to be Jalen Milrow? He brings in a transfer from Notre Dame after spring practice. That's never a good never a good sign, I don't think. So they got to get that, that squared away. They, they do think they're going to be better. Uh, on the offensive line, to, to me, it's the whole Lee. It's the whole mindset of Alabama. Uh, you remember when Coach Saban had that rant about we should have been in the college playoffs because we would have been favored over, yeah. you know, three of the. You know, I, Nick Saban did not think for one minute that his team should have been in the college football playoff. He's doing. He was doing what he always does, which is talk over the head of the media directly to his players and say, "See, guys, the committee hosed you guys. You should have been in." So and so, what are you going to do about it? And so, I I think he's got his team in full blown revenge mode after what happened to them last year, and because they, they certainly had a team that was capable of winning the national championship, but lost at the buzzer twice. You mentioned Georgia to win the East. What about the West? 
I'm, I'm picking Alabama. Logically, you should not pick Alabama to win the West because LSU's got a proven quarterback and Alabama doesn't as we sit here this morning. Uh, a, lot of, a lot more questions. Uh, but I've just got a sense about this Alabama team. You know, Nick, Nick Saban's been in Alabama since 2007. In that stretch, 16 years, whatever it is, he's never gone three straight years without winning a national championship. Well, if he doesn't win it this year, that's what will happen. And so I, I just got a feeling about Alabama. I, I don't have a feeling. I don't know if they're going to win the national championship, but I do believe they'll be in the playoffs. So you got Alabama today, and then I mentioned Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky. I, I have a feeling uh, Saban's going to dominate the day. Anything from the other three coaches worth noting? Well, I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to talk to Sam Pittman about it. They, they were disappointed at, at Arkansas last year. Now, K.J. Jefferson, their great quarterback, got beat up, and that was a – Factor, but where are where do they fit? Who, who is going? Who is going to challenge Alabama and LSU in the West? And that, that's what I'm I'm sort of looking at right now. Uh, Lane, Lane Kiffin, he's got like 37 quarterbacks on his roster. Is, is, can he find one to do what he wants them <laughs> to do? Uh, you know, Mississippi State Zach Arnett was here yesterday, and obviously he's the coach because we lost Mike Leach. And uh, he's got a 4,000-yard passer in Will Rogers, but they're not going to throw the ball as much. They're, they're, not gonna, they're not sticking with the air raid offense. So, you know, what's that going to look like? So a lot of really good storylines at this SEC meetings. Tony Barnhart with us here on WNSP. Uh, I wanted to ask you, from a perspective standpoint, you've, been, you've covered this sport for a long time. Without getting into the minutia of, of who, who's right and who's wrong, have you ever seen – um, the scenario that's playing out with Georgia right now with a, a paper that covers them, and I and I know you have some allegiances on both sides there. So uh, I, I do. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's such a unique. It seems to me to be such a unique situation here that we're that that's unfolding in front of our eyes. It it, it, it is it is unique. It absolutely is, and uh, I've been purposely restrained on my. Uh, sure. comments about this because I do have loyalties on both sides, very strong loyalties on both sides, but it, it is unusual and like a lot of these cases, you got to let it play out and yeah. uh, I, I will watch this with much interest. Yeah, I just don't think there's ever been an instance where uh, any media publication uh, and, and, and an entity that it covers at least in, in sports in the SEC have kind of mm-hmm. kind of butted heads like this you know what I mean? I I'm certainly not familiar with one like yeah. it, absolutely. And I've been covering I've been covering football for 40, 46 years. Speaking about writing, you got a book coming out soon? I do, Lee. Uh, the title of the book is The 19 of Green. And what that means, uh, when I was a senior in high school in the fall of 1970, uh, the courts finally decided that the state of Georgia schools would finally and completely integrate. And so we had a we had in my count little county, which is halfway between Atlanta and Augusta, Greene County. Uh, we had we had a, a African American high school and a, and a white high school, and those two merged. And all of us who played football said, "Man, we're going to have us a 50, 60 guys on the team because we're merging." When spring practice was over, we had 19 guys, 12 white, seven black, and that was it. And what what happened was we went on to win a division championship, play for a region championship, and uh, had a very, very special year. But the story is the book is not about the number of games that we won in that that special season. It's about the fact that 52 years after a bunch of us played our last game 
uh, in, at that Tiger Stadium with the Greene County Tigers, uh, we're still friends. And uh, one of my best friends is Charles Turner, who was the African-American quarterback on that team. And we still stay in touch. I have a charity golf tournament, and uh, uh, I, I play. he plays in mine, and I, he has a charity golf tournament, and I play in his. And we have lunch every now and then. And uh, and it's neat that, that we still have that relationship. And uh, the book ends with Charles being inducted into the Greene County Ring of Honor for his three adult children and his six grandchildren, and they were all there. So it's, it's a special story about friendship and uh, friendship that's lasted 52 years. I don't, I don't want you to give away all the book, but why did only 19 come out? Not, the best we could ever determine, and I ask every one of my teammates and all the coaches, is that it was, it was, it was a very difficult time, and guys did not want to play. There was guys that didn't want to play. And so I, I never got a satisfactory answer. But, but once, it, once we had our team, I said, that's it, let's go. What position? And it was it was a special time. What position did you play, Tony? <laughs> Lee, I played I played three different positions. Personal. If you see, the, I'll send you the cover of the book. But I'm back down in the right hand corner of the, of the team picture, wearing number fifty. I was a I was a guard. I was a tight end. I played some defensive back. Uh, I played all those positions because we only had nineteen guys. Sixteen of them played, uh, but I didn't play any of them particularly well. Uh, as a football player, I always said I was, I was small, but I compensated by ex- being exceedingly slow. So. I, I don't know, man. You sound like the original Slash playing all those positions. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, well, we had to move guys, or we had to move guys around. There's no question about that. Our back, one of our backup quarterback ended up having to play center, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it was something. And to be able to talk to all these guys there are 15 of us still alive 19 we started with 19 in 1970 15 of us are still alive and i was able to interview all of them uh most in person uh all the uh, living coaches some faculty members and uh and some administrators just to get their memories of that thing and and we were i'm very it's published by the university of georgia press it'll be on the uh shelves in, in october First one I've done for an academic publishing house, and uh, but you can you can buy it on Amazon now. You can pre-order it if, it if it's something that interests you. Just go to Amazon and look up the 19 of Green. Green what? What was the nickname? Green County Tigers. Remember the Tigers. All right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Remember the Tigers. Yeah, Tony's like now he's got to get Lee on that marketing team with That's that right. slogan. Hey Tony, thank you so much, man. I know it's a busy week, uh, plenty, plenty to get to. So uh, we appreciate you making some time for us. All right, always enjoy it. Take care. Do you want to mention? We mentioned South Alabama. They open with the season with Tulane, but then they come to Hancock Whitney September 9th. Get your tickets at usajaguars.com/tickets. All right. When we come back, we have some uh, some of an excerpt from Georgia coach Kirby Smart's uh, comments with. Uh, with the media yesterday at SEC Media Day, so we'll do that. Chris Stewart's going to join us at 8 o'clock. Uh, Gary Stoken at 8.20, and Justin Ferguson on Auburn at 8.30. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. Our SEC Media Day's coverage continues right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. This is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP.
the running joke we always say, there's only three conferences and we're the SEC, the NFC, and the AFC. So that <laughs> strengthens the SEC. Texas and Oklahoma are great programs, not only for football, but baseball, basketball, everything in between. They're recruited at a high level, and it's going to really be the program, um, not, excuse me, not the program, the conference, and they'll probably win. Welcome back in. 7.51 here, wrapping up hour number two. It's the opening kickoff. All right, our SEC Media Days uh, presented by Pat's Industrial and Auto Supply and Greer's Market celebrating their 107th anniversary. You know, we talked about this yesterday, Mark, about Vanderbilt. And when anybody gets really good there, they transfer. And that was one of them. Elijah McAllister is now a linebacker with the Auburn Tigers. But let's move on to Kirby Smart because Corey Labounty, who is co-host of the afternoon show, Final drive. Uh, Corey may be on with us this morning. Still waiting to hear from him. But he interviewed Kirby Smart yesterday. Let's hear what he had to say. Coach Smart, your team back-to-back -back national champions. You talk about complacency and the challenge with complacency. Your team coming into this year, how do you go ahead and address all of those issues internally and block out the external factors? Well, we address them by the people we bring in our organization. You know, I think um, you start by, like, developing good people and bringing good people in. I just talked about it on the main floor, but we look for two characteristics, people that love football and people that embrace a selfless role. Once you do that, they don't have complacency because they have the right, the right hardwiring. So, uh, you know, people that worry about outcomes like, oh gosh, my ego, why am I not getting the ball? Or like, oh man, we lost the game. Complacency sets in on those people because when they hit a milestone, they don't know how to respond to it. Um, so we want people that are intrinsically motivated. It means they come from inside out and they want to be great regardless of that. Now, do we have all players like that? No. We're trying to move our needle to get the majority that way so that we can stomp out that complacency. And we just want to be as dominant and as good as we can be. And that starts with competing against each other. You're obviously building a recruiting machine. You talk about rooting out complacency. How do you go about doing that when you're bringing in so many talented players? Well, you, you teach, you know, you, you, you teach kids, you, you show them evidence that like work works. Like we say hard work works. Like if you work really hard and you buy into the team concept and you contribute some kind of way, your, your time's coming, you're gonna play. We've had a lot of freshmen go out and start and play. And I think there's a misnomer that when you recruit well, that means you have to sit and wait. We started two true freshmen last year on defense, the very first game. Um, so when you recruit talented people and you got people that are selfless that love the game, you've got an opportunity to, to have uh, good success. All right, a little Kirby Smart for you. I thought uh, the two very short uh, parts of his uh, day yesterday were the most interesting, which were the answer to critics of his schedule who referred to it as cupcakes or a cakewalk. His reply was, Come play it. Come play it. That was his reply. His reply, three words. You you think it's soft? You think it's easy? Come play it. I I, I don't I don't know if that changes anybody's mind about it because yes, it's tough, but compared to others, Which not really. Brings to mind the old famous Gene Stallings comment when he was asked about playing teams that maybe people didn't think were worthy, and he said, I think it was like was it Southern Miss? He said lose to them and see what happens. Right. I think it was Vanderbilt. Oh, was it Vanderbilt? I think it was Vanderbilt. Well, you had to play. That's a conference game. You right. talk about outside the conference. Lose to them yeah. and see what happens. The the other thing that I really liked. Do you remember Georgia lost to Vanderbilt? Was it Kirby's first year or second? It was a home game. Was it like 17 to 16? Vandy beat Georgia? Yeah. You, the other thing that I really liked uh, was their new mantra. 
which they took from the New Zealand All Blacks. Remember, they were he was talking about he studied this team. It's apparently it's from a winning percentage standpoint, it's the greatest team ever assembled. They've won like seventy five percent of their games in the history of their franchise, and they've played for over a hundred years. So that was pretty cool. But he borrowed their mantra, which is "Better never rests," which about, I thought was pretty good. How about this one? Slow down. Ooh. Zing! Wow. Wow. Shervanian spitting fire today. Look at you bringing it. He was only asked one question about the legal issues. That's because he he went on for a little while, and some of these coaches are using the print media to kind of filibuster, which is a political term, really. But during private sessions— Context. Yeah, during private sessions, he has addressed the issues of the speeding tickets and so forth, and he says, look— I've brought policemen in to talk to our team. Uh, I've got checks and balances. We're doing everything we can. And and, and quite, he didn't come out and say this, but look, I can't be in the car with everybody driving, which is true. I get it, but that's not what people want to hear. And we've heard this now from a couple people, and this is really the only misstep I thought Kirby made yesterday. It was when he talks about there are no more incidents on our campus as there are on any other campus uh, or in, in any other program around the country, or and I'm paraphrasing, but it's almost like he's trying to downplay it. And there was a, fat- a fatality. I mean, you and, and these guys continue to do it after the fact. So I would have handled that differently and said, if there's one citation, it's a problem. Yes. And you can even add it's a problem. It would be a problem anywhere. But we are under a microscope. We have to stop. My guys have to stop doing this. And I'm making it. I'm, I'm doing everything in my power to, 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 to squash this because it's an issue. And people don't want to hear, but everybody's doing it. That's, that's just it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it better. And it certainly doesn't make it right. How about this? Uh, I, I don't know what the discipline is. How about take away the, if somebody gets into trouble, take away their keys. I don't know if they run the stadium. I don't know if they run extra laps or anything like that or if spend extra time in the weight room. But I do know that what has happened, look, legal issues in Athens, Georgia, nothing new. This has been going on for years. But when you have a tragedy where two people, including a football player, were killed, and then you have uh, Jalen Carter come out and get involved in this because he was apparently racing, and now you have a lawsuit naming Carter and George and everything, that's what has really escalated this. Uh, you guys can jump in, 694-1055. We're going to catch up with Chris Stewart coming up next. Uh, Gary Stoken of the Peach Bowl uh, will join us from Nashville. And uh, Justin Ferguson will talk about Auburn and, uh, and Hugh Freeze. I thought Hugh Freeze, uh, I thought Hugh Freeze was great yesterday. I thought Kirby was great other than what we just discussed. But I thought, I thought Hugh Freeze uh, did as well as you could ask any coach to do in that situation. Yeah, but none of them got the contract extension that the Vandy coach got. See, this is late. what I'm talking about. So we're talking about when Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC – do we add another day? I think you have to. But my whole thing is, how many of these guys do we really want to hear from? I mean, I could I could cut three or four of them, and I don't... Did you listen to him at all? I'm curious. It was on, but okay. I wasn't listening. I, I was waiting for him to say something I, of interest. When I was in Sandestin, he was actually one of the coaches with an improv. He was pretty good. I but like, that. if, if Eli Drinkowitz good. isn't going to be Eli Drinkowitz, then don't get up there. Yeah, he was...
kind of disappointing. I, I could have gone with. I could go without hearing from Vanderbilt, Missouri, Kentucky, and unlike Eli, Eli at Missouri, even Mississippi State. Quite frankly, about Florida. I think if you win so many games, you're invited to SEC media days. That's what we should do. I like that idea. Uh, you have to be one game over 500, right? Seven and five, right? Yeah, we can work out the details. Right. But you have to earn your way to SEC media days. And I would include Greg Sankey in that, too. Stay with us. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 804. Welcome in. Hour number three. Our SEC Media Days coverage continues right here on the sports station WNSP and WNSP.com. We are roughly 60 minutes from Nick Saban approaching the podium to kick off day three. Oh, so when Nick starts talking, the state comes to a halt. Yes, everybody, yes. no work today. Gosh, and I thought. Or at least for the first hour. And I thought. Me now becoming a member of the city was a big deal, but obviously. Oh, congratulations! By yes. the way, Lee is an official citizen of Mobile or a resident. Resident of Mobile City. All right. Uh, Proving to... we will take anybody. Wow! Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, my <laughs> resume. <laughs> uh, Mark checked all the resumes for the how many two hundred thousand people yeah, that are now know. members of the uh, city. I guess. And Mark, of course, will be in charge of garbage pickup. Sure. Uh, Pat's Industrial and Auto Supply along Rear's Market celebrating their 107th anniversary among our, well, they are our presenting sponsors. We present Chris Stewart. Chris is a Wednesday guest thanks to Dex Imaging. And, hey, in the past, Chris has been no stranger to Media Days. I remember doing some interviews with him, but that was before we did Alabama football. Chris, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing? You know what? I take that back. You were doing Alabama football, but it was usually on pay-per-view or something like that. So yeah, uh, you did the, I, I apologize been, uh, for that. It's hard to believe. Somebody asked me the other day, well, you know, you've been doing this for about three or four years now. I said, no, try about 25 <laughs> plus, I think, in one capacity or another. But on the radio side of it, I think it has been 24, 25, 26 with uh, a missed year here or there, but not much. It's one way or another, I've been in, I've been involved with it. Yeah, pay per view, rest its soul. Uh, Alabama Cable Network, rest its soul. CSS, CSSE, rest their souls. But thankfully, CTSN still very much alive and kicking, and uh, involved with that once again. So grateful for it. All right, it's in Nashville. You used to always come to the win for you. Are, are you at? I'm guessing you're not. You're not going to Nashville, or are no. you? Okay. It, ironically, no, I'm not, and, and it's kind of ironic. Uh, I'm sitting right outside as I'm talking to you. I'm looking at the Malmore Athletic Complex as we speak, uh, where guys, I'm sure, are working out. I've seen a couple come out of there, but uh, doing their off-season stuff. But Coach Saban is probably there or en route because I was with him last night for a – Crimson Tide Sports Marketing event at the football stadium with a lot of our season sponsors and advertisers and, and partners on our um, network and the various advertising platforms. But um, 
I had a chance to visit with him in a town hall kind of setting. Second time I've done that in a week. And um, my, the main reason that I'm down here today uh, is really day two for me to just be a, a dad of a University of Alabama student. I've got a daughter who grad, you guys know graduated um, in the spring, but I've, I've got an 18-year-old that starts down here in a month. So he's got freshman orientation going on and uh, just being a dad and thoroughly enjoying that opportunity. So is he in the uh, traditional uh, – is the traditional dorm still Burke or has that been updated over the years? No, I tell you what, he – I don't know where they stayed, and I say they because he goes, Dad, you are – you are staying at the Hampton, right? It is, it's been my home away from home down here on sports weekends for a thousand years, it seems. But uh, they're great to me. He he did not want uh, any more dorm nights than he has to have. So, yeah, we uh, we were roughing it uh, in a hotel in Tuscaloosa last night. But it's it's been a good day or day and a half so far. Chris, maybe you can uh, give our audience kind of a preview. You heard Nick Saban. You talked to him, I, I guess, yesterday. Some of the things that he may address today. Yeah, he, here's what here's what he said with that. And I did uh, it, kind of in general terms. I guess I asked him. I don't. I don't know that I did specifically, but what I, I know how I, I know how I framed the question to him. I said, you know, you get the perception. Do people have the perception? that you don't like doing this stuff. I said, but you really do. I said, I've been around you enough that I know you do kind of enjoy this part of it. He goes, yeah, he goes, I do. He said, but the biggest thing in this, he said, is is not so much what you say. It's making sure you don't say the wrong thing. He goes, which I've been guilty of a time or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes, but you're really trying to avoid making news on this. And he said, so you try to be as mindful as you can of that and and just try to come out of it unscathed is the biggest thing so um i don't know that he gave anything he did give a great analogy and i'm trying to remember i won't be able to do it justice but um you know everybody he goes you can ask me anything you want just don't ask me about quarterback last night he goes i'll go ahead and get that out of the way he said my grandmother my grandmother used to love uh baking cake and I loved her cake and I loved the smell of it and I was ready to eat it and basically was saying you know uh, you know when can we eat cake and she you know candy you know if you if you rush it it won't it won't set just right and it won't be it won't be as good as it can be so we got to be patient with it and uh, the obvious uh, analogy is that's the way it is with a quarterback situation. You know, you don't you don't rush it. You got more time to develop the guys. They really do like the talent that they have available to them. Um, they're just trying to figure out who's going to be the guy. And the great thing is, um, you've got options, and you've got an opportunity for them to to go prove before you get to the first game. Who's going to get the first opportunity? And we've seen it before. If you guys remember when it was A.J. McCarron and Phil Sims battling, what, 14, 12 years ago, whatever it was, 13, that they were trying to decide who was going to be the starter, um, I guess, after Greg McElroy 
had finished up his eligibility. They're they're playing in State College, Pennsylvania against Penn State, and even though A.J. got the start in that one, it still wasn't a clear picture of who the guy was going to be, either he or Phil, but when Alabama played like they did against Penn State that day at Beaver Stadium, it was clear that A.J. McCarron was the guy and, and was the rest of the way, and I won't be shocked if we have something similar happen where we're still maybe two to three games in where you have a starter, but there may still be a battle to see exactly who is the guy by the time you get to league play and beyond. Do you think he's picked up on what some of the coaches are doing with these long statements, uh, in a sense, filibustering, so he doesn't get asked a lot of questions today? Um, he, I'll put it this way. He learns from everybody, but he's going to do what he thinks best and what fits him best. I don't think he's afraid of, of getting asked questions. He won't do a Mike Leach and say, y'all don't care what I've, my statement is, y'all want to ask questions, so go ahead. Uh, at the same time, he's not going to do like you just pointed out and others have, deliver a 15-minute uh, know, address in order to take up as much time as possible. I think he's going to say what he needs to say and then give people a chance to ask questions. He's Again, he's pretty transparent in that regard. I always go back, guys. And, Lee, you may have even been in the room. I don't remember. But his introductory press conference, which at Alabama and most places like Alabama, when you have a new coach, it's not a true press conference. It's a coronation, okay, because you have board members, boosters, former players, and then the media are trying to get in there and, and do their jobs, but then you've got a lot of the other people that want to be in the room and it's and shake hands, and that's understandable. That's the way it's supposed to be, especially at a place like Alabama. I've been coming to those ever since I was an undergrad at Montevallo and got away, skipped a journalism class to go cover Gene Stallings' introductory press conference. You know, so I've, I'm, I'm familiar with those. I've, I've been in a few. But I'll never forget there was the coronation, but then about a week or two later was the first true just media conference that Coach Saban had with press. And he, he did Q&A for about 15 minutes, and then he, then he walked out to the room to where everybody was sitting, and he goes, don't put your chairs around in a circle. Let's just sit around here and talk for a second. And everybody looked at each other like, what the heck? And I don't know that he's done it since. He may have. But I know he did it that day, and the cameras were off, and pins were down. And he goes, in essence, what he said was, guys, I know you've, you've probably heard a lot of things about how I am to work with. But let me tell you something. I understand that you've got a job to do. I respect the job that you've got to do, and I'm going to help you do your job. But not at the expense of doing my job, which is to win football games. So I don't know where you've gotten this idea that you're not going to have access to players. You are going to have access to players. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to let you stand outside of our meeting rooms and when we break up in a meeting, you're going to have a chance to talk and grill every kid as they come out of those meeting rooms. And let me tell you, I think by and large, he has been very true to that statement. 
there are media opportunities all throughout the week with players. You can put in your request for kids that you want to talk to, young men you want to visit with. And there is a session. There are multiple sessions over the course of the week. And he does at least two general media sessions. And, and you can hear other interviews numerous times over the course of a week before you get to kickoff. So, again, it may not be everything that everybody wants, but it's not like he goes into a bunker for a, a month and you don't hear from him. It's, uh, there's an awful lot of opportunities where he's available and you can hear what the guy's got to say, and he's pretty candid when he does. Hey, Chris, always great to catch up with you, man. We really do appreciate it. It's a busy week. Uh, we look forward to doing it again next week. Anytime, guys. Appreciate y'all so much. Thank yep, you. that's Chris Stewart, voice of the Crimson Tide. All right, traffic and weather are next, and then we're going to catch up with Gary Stoken over there in Nashville. We are testing all sorts of things, but we're about 50 minutes from uh, Nick Saban hitting the podium. Justin Ferguson is going to join us at 8.30. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. A.J. doesn't need to shoulder any more of the burden. You know, we need A.J. to focus on his development. Um, and his ability to facilitate the offense, make pre-snap and post-snap decisions, get the ball into space. Um, and I think his growth from year one to year two has less to do with putting the offense on his back and more to do with consistency and execution. Welcome back in, 821. The opening kickoff continues as day three of the SEC Media Days getting ready to get started there in Nashville. So we're an equal opportunity station. That was Vanderbilt's coach, Clark Lee. See, we give them all a chance to talk with us. All right, one of my favorite guests is actually at Radio Row in Nashville getting ready to talk to us, Gary Stoken with the Peach Bowl. Gary, good morning. How are you today? Lee, where are you? I don't see you here. I'm in um, Mobile. I'm now a member of the city, so I have to stay here and uh, be accorded the coronation of being a member of the city as we had that annexation yesterday. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm great. It's a great time of the year. Normally, I enjoy seeing you up here at uh, SEC Media Days. I know it's college football season. Well, it took four people we sent up to replace me, so you can see the importance <laughs> of that. Gary, let me the start out. The guys are doing a good job here. Well, let me tell you. I want to tell you something. So when I mentioned getting you on, I said the, the great thing about Gary is if you're nice to him, he's going to give you some Chick-fil-A gift cards. I didn't know you had switched to Aflac. So instead, do they get like a duck or a photo of Dion and Nick or what? What do you give them? Well, we, we, we thought about giving insurance policies out, but that didn't work with Aflac. So um, we'll have to work on that for next year. All but right. we, do have some, we do have some Chick-fil-A uh, uh, sandwiches here that we're going to provide to the guys. We'll give them one for you. I don't know if you'll see it as on their drive back they may use it. I'm sure they will. So uh, this coming year, this fall, do you have a game already uh, established? Yeah, so this year we've got the AFLAC kickoff game. Uh, it'll be Georgia Tech and Louisville on Friday night. Uh, new for us, we'll open the season with an ACC conference game uh, in primetime on Friday night. And then uh, at the end of the year, we'll have two top ten teams in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, uh, which will be the last year, really, of the – the um, the CFP before we go into the playoff in 24, uh, and then in 24 we'll open up with uh, Georgia Clemson, 
and then have the uh, first quarterfinal of the new CFP 12-team playoff in December. And then at the end of the year, in January, we'll host the national championship for the first time um, since 2017 and be the first city to host twice in the CFP era, the national championship game. Well, at least in 2024, Kirby Smart will not have to be worried about being asked about an easy schedule then with Clemson starting out. Well, it's interesting that uh, we're doing some analysis. Georgia could play Clemson in our AFLAC kickoff game and then uh, play in our quarterfinal game, play in the SEC championship game, all in Atlanta, and then play in the national championship game in Atlanta. So Georgia wouldn't have to travel far if that's the case. Yeah, uh, Greg Sankey alluded to the fact that the uh, SEC title game is staying in Atlanta. Is that official now? Has that been confirmed? No, I know he's uh, he's negotiating with Mercedes-Benz Stadium on the stadium deal, um, but uh, he uh, for sure uh, made uh, everybody in the media understand that uh, they were staying in Atlanta, which is great to hear. Gary Stoken uh, with the AFLAC uh, kickoff classic, the Peach Bowl, and all the good games that come to Atlanta. So, Gary, let me ask you now, Getting you've already covered some of this. How does the Peach Bowl stack up? And, again, I, I know you've already said some of this. Stack up with the uh, college football playoff expansion. Yeah, in 2024 and 2025, they're uh, year 11 and year 12 uh, of the current CFP contract. So uh, the contract ends in 2025. We'll host the CFP quarterfinal either December 31st or January 1st. There will be one game on the 31st and three, game, three quarterfinals on the 1st in 2024 and then 2025 um, we'll host the national semifinal game like we did this year with Georgia Ohio State uh, and that'll be the end of the CFP contract um, hopefully we can and the New Year's Six Bowls can remain a part of the CFP moving forward in 26 and beyond but uh, the CFP still has to finalize negotiations with ESPN on the existing uh, contract, 12-year contract that uh, was signed back in 14 um, to finalize this contract for the quarters and semis in 24 and 25. And then they'll start negotiation uh, with TV networks, which I think they'll bring in more than one uh, for the 26 going forward, uh, whatever the playoff's going to look like. Uh, and then again, they'll negotiate with the Bulls after they have the TV deals done. With the conference, the SEC expanding next year to 16 teams, what kind of problems, if any, does this create for you in trying to establish a, a really a marquee-type kickoff classic, or has it? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the good thing is we're booked out through 2025 uh, with our uh, AFLAC kickoff games. We've got uh, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Tennessee versus Syracuse in 25 to open the season. So, um, you know, we got out ahead um, and scheduled all the way through 25. The good news is, at least right now in the in the May um, meetings, spring meetings, both the ACC and SEC said they're staying with eight games in their conference, which allows us to have some inventory available to schedule these uh, neutral site games. Now, having said that, you know, who knows what they'll do next year with their schedule. Will they go to nine in the SEC and ACC? If they do, it's going to really narrow the, the opportunities to schedule these future kickoff games because the inventory will be, you know, really depleted to some degree. 
Uh, and I think the other thing is the ADs got out ahead when they saw this playoff coming where they started to schedule big home and homes. Like I think Alabama scheduled out through, through 2032 already um, because they wanted to up their season ticket base because obviously that's huge revenue for them as well as merchandise revenue and concession revenue. Um, but they also saw that with a 12-team playoff, you could probably lose a non-conference game, lose a conference game, have two losses, maybe even three losses, depending on who you're playing, and still get into a 12-team playoff. So I think that was the rationale, which makes all the sense in the world. We understand that. Um, but hopefully there's enough inventory that we can still move forward in 2026 and beyond to have the uh, neutral side games. Hey, Gary, I can't thank you enough. It's always great to have you on. Even if I can't see you in person, I still have that image. Well, great to be with you, Lee. I hope we see you in Atlanta either at the SEC championship game or possibly at the end of the year in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Have Very a great good. football season. Appreciate you coming aboard. Have a, have a fun day today making the rounds. Very <laughs> stoking with the Aflac uh, Peach Bowl. And uh, coming up next, Justin Ferguson to talk about Hugh Freeze and Auburn. All that and more coming up. It's the SEC Media Day's coverage right here on the Sports Station WNSP. respect for what Lane's done there and um, have a lot of friends there and he's he's doing a nice job but I really hadn't they're coming to our place so that won't it won't be like I'm going back to Oxford it would just be me and that's been a long time I mean that'd be what seven seasons so it's not like you know it's not like it was yesterday or so I don't think I'll have a lot of emotions other than the fact that I'm going to win 8.33, welcome back in as our coverage of SEC Media Days continue that. Just part of the interview yesterday with Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze. Uh, coming up here in about a half an hour, Nick Saban takes the podium. Uh, now time to introduce our next guest. Uh, Justin Ferguson joins us here on WNSP. Uh, Justin, I got to be honest, man. I thought Hugh Freeze knocked it out of the park yesterday. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. I think one of the things that <clears throat> Hugh Freeze is really good at doing from a football coach's perspective is, is kind of selling a vision, um, you know, and, and I think he did a good job of, you know, trying to manage expectations and put kind of a realistic view of what Auburn football is right now, but also kind of try to get buy, people to buy into the hope for the future. I think everybody knows this team is going to be one that's going to have a hard time, you know, contending for anything this year. And, you know, you, you need to just get back to having a winning record first and foremost. Uh, but I, I think it's, you know, kind of setting the stage for, um, you know, what they want to do in the future. And I thought it was a good, you know, kind of opening um, statement, uh, so to speak, uh, to the rest of the SEC is kind of what uh, his Auburn football team wants to be. I think if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I take notes on how to handle questions about who's calling plays on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, he's been pretty clear about that from, yeah. from the beginning that Philip Montgomery is going to be the play caller. But, you know, he's a head coach, and he's an offensive head coach, and he used to call play. So, you know, you're going to sit here and say, hey, um, you know, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to do some stuff with it. But, you know, uh, they, they believe in Philip Montgomery hired him to call plays because part of the reason and part of the kind of the big picture we've heard from um, you know, free since he got here was like, to, in order to get Auburn to get to where they need to be long term, he needs to, you know, Freeze needs to concentrate a lot of his efforts on recruiting. And so having a guy like Philip Montgomery, who's done this at a really high level, uh, appealed to him in the process. We're talking with Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer. Justin, as we've mentioned a few times, and we've had many uh, guests on during the week, uh, they usually invite let's say those close to the program beat reporters whatever to meet with the coach privately before he meets with the the, the media uh, on the print level and all that did you get a chance to uh, meet privately with him yes absolutely uh, there was about a little over 20 minutes where the local beat got to talk to him kind of got into some you know more more uh, specific kind of nitty-gritty stuff about the program that you know when you're on the main stage or you're going through all the rooms, you know, it's everybody's turn to ask questions. Um, so from from all the other media, so yeah, the, the local B got to talk to him, and a lot of a lot of updates we heard about kind of personnel, so a lot of positive injury updates for Auburn and some other stuff. So yeah, it was good to get that opportunity to learn a lot about uh, kind of the the, the nitty gritty of this football team. You know, a couple of weeks away from from fall camp. All right, in that private session, now I want to get some of the stuff if you can tell us some of the stuff. But did mm-hmm. the, the the hunter? The name Hunter come up. Yes, it did, and you know, Freeze did the same thing he did at, at spring meetings, where he says, you know, it's, it's university policy. He's not going to comment on anything right now, and, and that's the thing with with Jarquez Hunter at this point. Um, that situation is in the hands of the university. This is not a uh, football program thing. Uh, this is a this is a situation that's being handled uh, by the university. So um, Auburn's policy has been from the football program that hey. They're not commenting on it until, you know, something happens, really, you know, and and they're going through the process. So what we do know is that Hunter has been, you know, hard at work here this offseason training. He's, you know, privately training, uh, been privately training this summer with Brad Lester, former Auburn running back. So I think there's a lot of folks that are having the kind of expectation or the thought that he's going to be able to play this year. Um, But for right now, uh, Auburn continues to say, hey, this is in the university's hands. Um, the, the situation that, that also goes to if there's anybody else going to be affected. He was asked about that, um, and you know he just deferred to the university. So no real updates on that. Um, but you know that 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 was kind of be to be expected. That's kind of been their their uh, their talk, the way they they've answered these questions since it first broke. Okay, so let's say something happens, and I have no clue what's going on. I don't think any of us do sure. right now with Hunter. Let's say he can't yeah. answer the bell for game one so who do they turn to yeah at that point you know you're looking at Demari Alston uh, for Auburn a guy who played a decent bit as a freshman last season um, got some carries got some catches out of the backfield uh, was a really good running back coming out of high school in the class of 2022 uh, or I'm sorry 2021 um, so you know no, 22 you're right uh, this is a, a situation where I think they kind of lean on him um, Brian Batiste uh, the uh, running back transfer from South Florida they got He's probably going to be more of a gadget type of player for them. And he's also – he had a surgery on his toe this offseason that they're still trying to work through. 
And uh, it sounded like Freeze wasn't sure if he was going to be 100% uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, so I would think they would turn to uh, Damari Austin. And then also Jeremiah Cobb uh, will be coming in here, you know, came, arrived this summer, one of the best running backs, um, you know, in the southeast uh, from Montgomery Catholic, put up some great numbers. And they look at him as a guy who can be an impact player right away. So if Hunter's not able to play at all this season, you know, at any point, whether it's game one or even longer than that, um, I think they feel like between Austin, what they could get out of Batie, and the fact that they got another, you know, high impact like instant running back Jeremiah Cobb, I think they would be fine. But obviously, they'd love to have Hunter because of what he's been able to do the last couple seasons. All right, wide receiver has been kind of a controversial, controversial position, as you know, Justin. They really haven't had a, a go-to guy. Did Freeze address wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's, it's out of more positive um, from, you know, kind of, hey, we've been impressed with the way those guys have worked. And, and here in the summer, I mean, you got to keep in mind, they added three guys after spring practice. Shane Hooks from Jackson State, formerly at, at Ohio, is a guy that they really like. Um, big catch radius, big hands, uh, go up and get it type of dude. Um you know, he's coming in. Jair Shorter was one of the best big play uh, receivers in the country last season in North Texas. Now, the thing with Shorter is that he has spent a, a, a decent amount of time in his college career, uh, you know, having to deal with injuries. So, they, you know, Free said yesterday they're going to have to be smart with him, um, kind of manage his reps in the fall so they can be healthy for the season. Uh, they got Caleb Burton, um, you know, the Ohio State transfer. He looks like a guy who might be better you know, down the road than, than right now. Um, but Camden Brown's um, turning a lot of heads. You got various Johnson coming back. So, you know, they're going to wait to see kind of who, if a superstar or a top guy can emerge from this group. I think they've got some candidates. Um, but, you know, yesterday we heard a lot of, like, you know, really, really pleased with the way the, the receivers have, have been challenged. And you kind of responded to that challenge because in the, in the spring, uh, there was not a lot of positive news about that group, and they go into the transfer portal and get more, and I think that group's really coming together. Auburn uh, observer, uh, writer, columnist uh, Justin Ferguson. So let me ask you this. Uh, basically, the Internet sites, sports sites, were very complimentary of Hugh Freeze. Why do you think that was? What did he do to wow him? I, you know, I think it's just he, he's very honest, you know, in these kind of situations. And, you know, at the, the press conference, I think that was the thing with him is that He's not blowing smoke, you know, up there. He, he's he's getting up and saying, like, hey, we know this is going to be a grind. We got a lot of work to do in order to get Auburn to where he wanted it, wants it to be. Um, one of the things he told us yesterday, I said, you know, one of the things that surprised him is that when he got to Auburn, he expected Auburn to be in a much better spot, you know, roster-wise, recruiting-wise, and it was because he knows what Auburn is capable of and he knows what Auburn can be. And that's the thing is, you know, he's trying to push to it. So, you know, you get some coaches here uh, who will come in and say, hey, you know, we don't care where we're picked. It's us against the world. You know, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, prove people wrong. Freeze kind of took the approach yesterday of like, look, I understand why people, you know, may pick us to finish towards the bottom of the league. And it's up and down. Like, I understand because, you know, there's a whole lot of unknown about us. And I think that's just a good bit of honesty and, and, and you know, kind of um, just realism, I think, from a coach, you know, stepping into what he believes is going to be a multi-year project. So it's a lot of big picture stuff with him, um, knowing that, you know, a 2023 is not going to be the year of Auburn, you know, potentially winning a championship or anything like that. It's, it's more going to be, 
this is a, this is a foundation year. This is a tone setting type of year, uh, and I think they're they're trying to keep that you know uh, on the on the forefront of their minds. Justin Ferguson joining us. So I, I saw a quote attributed to Freeze where he called Robbie Ashford a freakish athlete that he's never had the opportunity to coach, and he's referring to the quarterback. Wasn't is there a big difference between Ashford and Malik Willis who starred for Freeze at Liberty? Uh, you know what? I think if anything, Asher might be a better runner. Um, you know, Malik Willis was a great runner at Liberty, and he was a great runner during the limited time at Auburn. But the thing that I think that people kind of lose sight of with Ashford, you know, last season Auburn struggled throwing the ball, and you know, Ashford had really rough completion percentage numbers, and efficiency numbers. Those those are all true, but he's a top five running quarterback in college football. And I, I think you got to go back to last season at the end of last season once Cadillac Williams took over. They were running the ball, I mean, it felt like 90% of the time, and yet it was still working. You go to the Iron Bowl. I know Alabama had that game, you know, in control pretty much the whole way. Um, but Ashford, I mean, they ran the ball a ton in that game, and it was the most rushing yards a saving defense had ever allowed to that point. And I think that's, I think that's something where it's like he's such a gifted runner that, you know, he's able to put up numbers even when everybody knows he's going to be running the ball. Um, and I think that that's something that kind of stands out about him. Now, he's got to get to be a much better passer in order to be the starter on this team. Uh, but, yeah, he's a, he's a great athlete, um, you know, and, and, and is a guy that can, uh, I think can continue to get better. And something else Reese told us in the local meeting I thought was interesting. He said, hey, you know, we want to have him continue to compete and, you know, you know feel like he's got a shot to, to win this starting job. Uh, and really provide something because he said, you know, I think Robbie Astor is going to help us win football games this year. And it, so, you know, it'll be very interesting. A lot of people think it's going to be Peyton Thorne be the starter. But, I mean, I think Freeze kind of has it in his mind, you know, that they would love to find a way to get Astrid involved even if he's not the starting quarterback this year. He's just that good running the ball. Did Freeze – and and the press conference, I say the media conference, and he mentioned about Phil Montgomery, but he explained to you why he's giving up play calling because he's always been considered a very good offensive coach, yep. and I, he did that at Ole Miss. What was his reasoning behind that to give up play calling? Yeah, he says he feels like he needs to dedicate more of his time to recruiting and doing the big-picture stuff that Auburn needs. Um, he actually told us in the local uh, session that I thought was interesting, he said, look, I felt like I was a really good play caller. Um, I was really good at it for a long time. And he said, I, the last few years when he was at Liberty, we won some big games. He said, but we also lost some games we should have, we should have had no business losing. He said, and I felt like, you know, that was on me. And just, you know, I'm not able to do that job as, as well as I think I should be able to. And that, you know, as a head coach, you need to be a recruiter. You need to be a CEO type. You need to be able to kind of run everything. And you might not be able to be the best play caller you could be in that scenario. And I think he walked into Auburn and he looked at the roster. He looked at what the recruiting operation needed to needed to upgrade. And he said, you know what, I'm going to have to spend a lot of my time doing that. So don't, I don't need to focus all my time, you know, trying to come up with game plans and the X's and O's and all that. Let me go get somebody who I trust to run my system and, we can mesh together and work well together. And that's what they got in Philip Montgomery. So I think it's just really a scenario where they looked at it and said, hey, I got to be a more of a recruiter. I got to be more of a guy that's, that's leading this program than just, you know, play caller and X's and O's guy, which he is really good at that. But he said, I think the Liberty run, some of the losses they had at Liberty, I think kind of made him, you know, he said, kind of step back and say, okay, is there a way I can handle this better and manage this better to be a better head coach? 
Before I let you go, anything else up there? Any other interviews or player interviews that caught your attention? Yeah, well, it was just really interesting hearing, you know, from from Auburn's players about some guys that really, you know, turned heads at this point uh, in the year. Um, you know, in, in the in the summer, hearing a lot of good things uh, about some freshmen. Kelvin Falk, uh, the Jack linebacker, I think is is going to get a lot of people um, excited about the future there. Um, and then also. Uh, keep an eye on Connor Lou. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about Connor Lou, true freshman, came in, was already getting some reps, first team in the spring, can play center, can play guard. He kind of reminds me a lot of when Braden Smith was a freshman at Auburn, and it's just the way you talk about a true freshman on the offensive line a lot differently than others. Usually it's, hey, red shirt, develop them, you know, turn them loose later. Uh, they're talking about Connor Lou like he's a guy they need to find a way to get on the field this season, even if he's not a starter. So I, I would keep an eye on those two freshmen because uh, they they seem like they found some some real value there. Uh, both the co- both Freeze and players yesterday were were very complimentary of those two guys. Hey Justin, great stuff. I can't thank you enough. Enjoy the day, and uh, we'll check in with you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a good one. All right. That's Justin Ferguson, Auburn Observer. Uh, We're brought to you all week long for SEC Media Days by Ward International Trucks, Rich's Car Wash, LNS Air Conditioning, Dixie Supply, Keesler Federal Credit Union, and the Cart Doctor and Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. When we come back, we're going back to Nashville. Some members of our crew, our Fantastic Four, will be joining me to preview what to expect today, day three of SEC Media Days. Something that kind of reminded me of uh, myself watching him is just um, how hard he works during our team runs and uh, stuff like that. I mean, he's he's out in the front running with me and um, kind of just we're kind of pushing each other. And um, I mean, it just kind of helps me too because um, the new guy comes in, he's hungry, he's, he's pushing me. Is he, who's faster? That that was uh, Brock Bowers, I believe. And prior to the uh, Bowers being up there, Kirby Smart said if you can get more than a sentence out of Brock Bowers, good luck. He doesn't like to talk much, but uh, maybe got loosened up a little bit uh, up there in uh, Nashville. Uh, Pat's Industrial Supplies, SEC Media Days, presented by Greer's Market, celebrating their 107th anniversary. All right, uh, as we close the morning show, let's get up to Nashville. Corey Labounty, co-host of The Final Drive, and our good friend and longtime employee here at WNSP and kind of volunteering his services, Stephen Root. Gentlemen, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Lee. How are you doing, Mark? Mark's uh, taken off. He is actually left to go here and pick up anything he can on the Nick Saban uh, press conference. Well, that's a long drive to get up here and hear anything. You better hurry up. Well, we got the company helicopter. Uh, they're picking him up. Uh, got the helicopter. And he's going to, and he, you know what? You know, on his vacation, he parasailed, so he may just jump out of the helicopter right down there where you guys are. We got a balcony waiting for him, Lee. That's great. All right, give me a preview of what to expect today, guys. What? You know, you have Nick Saban coming to the podium along with his three players. You have Kool-Aid McKinstry, Dallas Turner, and J.C. Latham. We've already had a chance to talk with J.C. Latham this morning. But I think Nick Saban's not going to put off any fireworks. I think that there will be a question, of course, asked about the quarterbacks. That's going to come. And as well as NIL, those are going to be the two topics that I think he'll be asked about the most. Steven, this is your first uh, SEC Media Days, I believe. What have you uh, picked up on it? How's it been? It's been really good. I mean, the the 
level they go to to put on a show here is just incredible. Whether it's you know the food they feed us, everything is so top notch, and and the schools that the, the players these schools bring, they're all such such good guys, and they know how to handle this media. Um, which, if I was in their position, I definitely wouldn't have at that age. So you have to respect everything that goes on here. I mean, it just feels so big and so important. Um, you know, today, too, also, Arkansas is bringing three, three great players with them. I'm really excited to see Landon Jackson, Rocket Sanders, and K.J. Jefferson, Coach Sam Pittman. I'm a big fan of his. I'm really looking forward to the Arkansas guys, too, today. All right, to your, what you're saying, I can tell you when I first started covering this back when they started, I don't think they educated the players quite as well. And believe me, some of the, uh, some of the players were not well-versed in speaking to the media. Times have really changed. They dress to the hilt. Uh, they speak very well. I'm, I'm sure they're schooled, you know, that they're told. I'm not telling you they're told what to say, but they're basically given some instructions on how to deal with the media. Yeah, maybe not what to say, but how to say. I mean, there's there's definitely the uh, kind of talk you hear up here. I mean, being honest, you're not going to hear anything crazy up here. That just isn't the way it is. But, I mean, it's an incredible networking opportunity for all of us media members, putting names to faces and, and all of it, faces to names and all that. That's just um, what's going on up here. But, yeah, you're never going to hear something absolutely groundbreaking up here, I, I don't believe. Corey, you mentioned about the Alabama players. Who else do you have scheduled or do you hope to interview today for the final drive? And then, of course, we'll rerun some of it tomorrow. Well, we're sitting on Nick Wiggins' guarantee. We're going we're gonna <laughs> to try to get an interview with Nick Saban and have him to speak with us. And, of course, always great to try to get in touch with Kool-Aid McKinstry and Dallas Turner. So the entire Alabama contingency, we're going to try to bring you some footage or some voice back to the studio at WNSP. Aren't you also scheduled to meet with the commissioner? Yes, that is tomorrow. Commissioner Sankey is scheduled to, to join us, so we're looking forward to hearing from him about the state of SEC football, not only this year, but moving forward. If you're lucky enough to get Nick Saban, what do you want to get that others can't? Look, I, I really want to ask him about the other side, the relaxed Nick Saban that we don't see. You know, the virtual reality Nick Saban on the VR games and doing the up-to-date line dances because that's a side of Nick Saban a lot of people don't see, a lot of people don't ask about. But, I, you know, for him to come here and be asked all football questions all the time, I, I want to loosen him up a little bit, Lee. All right, to either of you, and I don't have an answer, I was really surprised that Hugh Freeze did not make Radio Row. This is the first time I can ever remember an Auburn football coach not being with us on WNSP. Do any of you have an answer as to why they, he did not go along, or did he go on Radio Row and just bypass us? Did not see him at all make stops on Radio Row. I mean, you know, we're constantly moving and we're not holding still because when you hold still here, when you don't have a live show, then you're going to miss a lot of other opportunities. But did not see him make any stops here along Radio Row on yesterday. What's the strategy for trying to get an interview with Nick Saban? Oh, we got, well, you better let us go right now, probably. <laughs> we, we just had him walk by. He's got a... Um, 
engagement in one of these media rooms, kind of the smaller of the two media rooms, where that's an opportunity to get a little more intimate and up close with players and coaches. They bring him into a smaller room before or before or after the giant room where he does his main podium speaking. But it's all going on right now. We got Alabama players all around us. Nick Saban just walked by, so it's going on up here. We got to get to it and. You know, try to get our questions in wherever we can. Yeah, what happened to the weather yesterday? Uh, Corey, you said the weather wasn't too nice. Horrific. Another horrific day today. The wind came blowing in, blew laptops, papers, scattered them everywhere. And the same thing today. It's been raining all all night and all morning. So 100% chance of rain here in Nashville. So if Mark's getting on that helicopter, he's going to have to get directly dropped off on this balcony. So did that curtail your night activity last night? It canceled the concert. There was, there was a concert, a free country concert on Broadway, and it got canceled. What do you got tonight? Steven, what's on uh, play tonight? Yeah, tonight over there at uh, Nissan Stadium across the river right there. I don't know exactly what that event's going to look like, but as far as everything else has been, I expect something big tonight over there at Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. Guys, thank you so much. Go to work. Thanks, Thanks Lee. Lee. Appreciate it. All right, Corey Labani and Stephen Root to double duty Nathan. Great job today, as usual. Uh, Nathan sitting in for Nick and also the afternoon show. For Mark and Nathan, I'm Lee Shervanian. We'll, of course, be back with you tomorrow with the opening kickoff. Stay tuned. Dan Patrick coming up. Then Chuck Oliver from 1 to 3. And then the final drive. Uh, maybe some Alabama players, maybe Nick Saban. Tune in. Do want to thank Pat's Industrial and Auto Supply and Greer's Markets and Cash Saver. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.